have to provide some information about what data the app is collecting also on Google Play, not only on uh, the App Store anymore. Say that again. I'm sorry, Maria. I'm sorry. I was just saying that there's uh, nutrition labels are coming to uh, Google Play Store as well. Oh, so uh, not only yeah, but not be, only the yeah, yeah, yeah. Store, this is interesting. Yeah, Play. it's a but the nutrition label in the App Store. What they're referring to, obviously, is there's not uh, protein and salt and sugar in in these apps, but there is the way that they use data and how they store data is what Google wants the consumers to understand is how their data is being used and w precisely what aspects of your data are they using? So are they using your location data? Are they using your demographic data, your, you know, et cetera. So um, it'll hopefully get um, app users to consider whether or not they want to install some of these apps that are, you know, and what sort of data these apps are going to be requiring of you as a user. Uh, so it's a new form so, of digital. So hiding. basically it, it will penalize the apps that are really bad at hiding what they're truly doing with your data. Precisely. Or it will discourage app developers from, you you know, um, asking for data that they may not actually really need and be a little more conscious of uh, everything that they ask for from users, potentially? Well, I guess the ones that have extremely good nutrition facts, uh, I, I would be very skeptical of because they're pro that just that could mean that they're the best at hiding what they're doing. That's Correct. my point. We um, covered... And we we that covered, might mean that they're the most advanced and the ones that you should be the, the most scared of. Right. We, we covered a startup yesterday. I believe it was yesterday or the day before. Somebody can remind me. An Israeli startup that essentially seems rather innocuous. It, it just, you know, it does require some data from you and it helps you in some way. But the real business of that startup is, is it then partners with lots of other bigger apps um, and provides them that data. And it's similar to one of the Facebook acquisitions where there was an, another a few years ago, there was a, a little Israeli app that tracks which apps you have installed on your phone. And of course, Facebook wanted to know that. So Facebook acquired this little Israeli startup because they have an interest in knowing what, which apps you have on your phone. And that's where it gets interesting is, you know, this little app was doing this one little service actually was doing something much bigger than the users assumed. And that does happen from time to time where it's, uh, it's sort of a head fake in terms of what the app, in fact, is really doing on, on your but device. Basically, any SDK can read uh, what apps you have on your phone. Yeah, so that's kind of a, it used generic... to be. I, I, as far as I understand, they've now re uh, removed that functionality. This whole no? this uh, permission asking thing, right? Every time you yeah. open an app. Even on Android, they ask you, can access this, can access this, can access this. Yeah, I, I see the headline here, uh, and it's being reported on a lot of, but here, here's the headline from The Verge. It says, Google Play's app listings will require privacy info next year, just like the App Store. And starting next year, apps on Google Play will show details about what data they collect, as well as other information about their privacy and security practices in a new safety section in their listing. The announcement comes just a few months after Apple started displaying similar privacy information in the App Store in the same way Apple's policy covers both its own apps and those developed by third parties. Google says its first party apps will also be required to provide this information. According to Google, the initiative is meant to help people understand the data and the, the data and app, the data that an app collects or shares. 
And that's the important, yeah, collecting is important, but what they're sharing is also particularly interesting because the point is, is that apps do share data with each other in ways that users are just not at all familiar with. Um, yep. So uh, that's kind of, I, I just I, tweeted uh, coveryourtracks.eff.org, which is one of the most rudimentary ways you can see how identifiable you are, despite you know, like open it up on your Safari uh, browser, coveryourtracks.eff, like the Electronic Frontier Foundation.org, and I tweeted it out. And what you'll find is that even with Safari on the latest iPhone and blah, 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 you're still putting out nearly 15 bits of identifiable, uh, like that's bits like binary bits of identifiable characteristics. Um, and, and this is the least advanced version of this thing because the EFF just doesn't have that much money. When you start bringing in artificial intelligence and mach or machine learning techniques to identify users, this is, uh, it's an exercise in futility um, to keep people from tracking you well enough that they can monetize you. Um, they don't really care who you are. That's not the point. I mean, maybe state actors do, uh, but these companies have more than enough. Like they have more than enough and, and no amount of silly rules are going to stop them. Yep. Uh, keep going. If you would, uh, I've got, uh, here, here's a headline here that's worth digging into. A look at misconceptions about Bitcoin's energy footprint, including how energy consumption does not equal carbon emissions, its use of unused resources and more. This is coming from Harvard Business Review. Uh, quite, I'll share it from the um, Tech News Around the World Twitter account in a second. Uh, and the title is How Much Energy Does Bitcoin Actually Consume by Nick Carter. And this is a a heated debate, no pun intended. How much energy does an industry deserve to consume right now? And it goes on and on. It's a really interesting read, as usual, on the Harvard Business Review. But um, there's just a, an incredible amount of back and forth on this. And, and for those who want to be um, have a good little deep dive under the issue, it's actually not that long of an article, but I encourage you folks to read it because it, this topic uh, comes up quite often and it's... Um, something everyone should be a little more informed about if they want to engage in that debate, I think. So I will share that from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account in just two seconds here. And um, I'm also tweeting out a, a live streaming link for today. We're going to test a the fact that we are live streaming uh, on YouTube. And there we go. And then it will also go out to um, Spotify, in the in a podcast form after the word afterwards just as a little test for today is to, so i just sent that out to the tech news around the world twitter account which you can see in the if you click on the title of this room you'll see the tech news club which also has a link uh, to the twitter account and uh, we do hope you follow the club and by the way um um, we have friends who are constantly sending really uh, related articles to the conversations we're having in real time. So normally while we're doing this over the course of the two, three hours, I, I usually do about 10 to 15 tweets in real time related to the conversations we're having. So it's now like a, an extra second screen of content uh, um, on the Twitter account. So I think people will enjoy that as well. Um, but you can share the live stream YouTube link to friends and, and also you'll notice there's a link in the bio of the Twitter account with, to the podcasts because uh, it goes out on now Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify Podcasts, and other, pretty much every major podcasting platform. 
just for now as today we're doing it as a little test to see test all the functionalities and um if there's things that we need to optimize and whatnot but uh there's a bunch of folks with hands in the audience that i want to welcome up as usual it looks like jasbina and michael got their hands up uh, so let's welcome them to the stage and see what jasbina and michael have in mind welcome michael where are you coming in from and what would you like to share today hi can you hear me guys yeah sound great phenomenal just to say um thank you for having, having me on stage yeah i literally just landed in the room and i raised up my hand that's what i always do so it's the fastest um traction that i've ever had on on, on, on stage so thank you very much for that. yeah we're um, just to just to clarify why that is is the way this room is unique as you're pointing out and what's unique about it is is the format of this room is it's not the haves and the have-nots and it's what what it's about is uh, people from all over the world sharing what's going on in their backyard uh, geographically and professionally because we as geeks here on stage and in the audience are very uh, inquisitive, uh, um, genuinely curious folks who want to know what's going on all over the place because what happens in one part of the world affects other parts of the world. So if uh, would love to hear what's, what, what's going on in your part of the world professionally or geographically. Got it. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I, I, um, I have uh, a, a business within. Ah, um, Michael, this is indeed uh, your first time here. Because... <laughs> my apologies. No, not <laughs> at all. Trade. No need to apologize, my friend. But what we have a special offer that I think you'll find very interesting. Um, we're all about sharing headlines and news from around the world. And there is a special offer today for people who want to talk about their own companies. It's a, a special 50% discount. Normally, it's one Bitcoin, Michael. But being that it's Got your it. first time, we can do this for just uh, half of a Bitcoin. Got it. Okay. Wow. It's a Friday deal as well. It's a it's special a Friday, Friday deal. Friday it's a Friday only. only. Yeah. And you can see the um, uh, on our Twitter account, uh, there is now uh, the tip jar functionality is now open. And that's wonderful. It. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if you want to do the special half Bitcoin deal. Uh, to I'll do. Hey, hey, Michael. Uh, here's an even better deal for for 49 million satoshis. Um, I will let you pitch your business and defend you at the power of 1,000 suns, uh, because I, Tyler isn't the only one that can charge for these services. Yeah. For 49 million uh, satoshis. So you, I am being a better deal. With yes. love, Michael, yes. just share so your headline. It will be yes. cheaper. Yeah, okay. it, yeah. <laughs> going right. once, going twice. Of, That's a smart. Thing. My headline is this. My headline is faith is around faith, right? Um, and one of the things that I've that's happening in my backyard at the moment, I'm in London in the United King, Kingdom. Uh -huh. um, there's been a lot of stress around lockdown and we're coming out of lockdown, the sun's coming out. Nice. So there's a lot of people that are finding it really challenging, like myself, yep. who has found it very challenging during lock, lock, lockdown. Michael, so, are you breaking the rules in London's lockdown, Michael? <laughs> I'm breaking the rules on what, sorry? Like being outside. Oh, no, no, it's okay. It's just, no. it's, we're just, we're just kidding. Keep going. It's okay. Okay, got it. So <laughs> London is freed of lockdown. And one thing that I noticed was that um, I've been wearing masks outside. And at the beginning of lockdown, I was not so much anti-mask, but I was very much pro-breathing. And this mask has brought a lot of fear to a lot of people. Um, and 
one thing that I found today that really worked powerfully for me was to remind myself that I'm supported by the universe, right? That, you know, I get all my substance, I get all my... And I and ask myself, how can I do that? So the alarm that you just heard is an alarm that I have for every half an hour on my phone that I put um, on my phone. It says, I trust God. You can put, I trust the, uni the universe. And in the last three hours, the, the attraction that I've had from people stopping me and saying, hey, wow, you know, you're smiling, you know, what's happening? Has been amazing. And me just walking to this room now is a demonstration of that. I've been offered to, 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 to talk about my business for half a Bitcoin and for millions of tushes. So whatever is happening around in your backyard, it's really important to remember that you're being supported. Okay, you just need to plug into the fact that no matter how bad it is, no matter how mediocre it is, no matter how it looks in where you're at, just plug into the fact that every little second that you take, you have the support of God, you have the support of the universe, and just remind yourself about that. Set an alarm on your phone every half an hour, every hour, and it rings. You know, this afternoon has been amazing. I've been with clients and my alarm has been going. And I say, hey, you know, your alarm keeps going. What's going on? And I smile. It's just a reminder that whatever is going on, God's got your back, or the universe has got your back, or a higher force has got your back. So that's what's happening in my backyard. There it is. That's Michael. Bada boom. Slam dunk, Michael. Well done. It's a happy Friday to you. Thank, Thank you notes. very much. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, there will, yeah, be, a there will be a test later, so folks. Powerful. So do set your alarms. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I just Thank want you. to say that. I heard your prayer, and I'm afraid it will not be answered this time. But if you put 49 million Satoshis in my pocket, we'll, we can talk about it. Okay. <laughs> jo Hallelujah. Jo Jonah, welcome to the stage. Where are, you, where are you coming in from, and what would you like to share with us today? I'm in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, where it's nice and humid. <laughs> no, yeah, that's why people move there, yeah? <laughs> and what, what, what would you like to share today from Boca Raton? Well, I was going to share, uh, like, real news. But the Satoshi thing uh, brought up some comedy that I saw the other day um, in light of uh, Elon Musk going on SNL tomorrow. Indeed he is. Everyone's talking about Dogecoin. Indeed they are. I'm going to pretend to show because I want to disclaim that I please don't buy this. It's seriously just a joke. I wouldn't touch this with a 20 foot pole. Um, but the rise of making meme tokens is, is quite interesting. Indeed um, it is. Have you heard the sheesh meme? I, I have not like doing the sound effect. I'm not going to do the sound effect, but you can look up what she she is in the whole thing. Okay, I'm, it's early. I, I'll but tell the you. Line... The speaking of Dogecoin, Amay did a room a few hours ago, and there was a gentleman in this room who had a really fascinating theory about Dogecoin. Amay, do you remember this? He uh, brought up yeah. this the symbol of uh, Dogecoin with the the dog Anibus, uh, yes. Egypt. Yeah, the, the, Tony. The, you heard him in the audience. I, I was like, I thought I was being hypnotized. So this was the most uh, amazing clubhouse moment I've ever experienced. So the gentleman in the stage was talking about Dogecoin is much, much more than it appears. People think it's a joke coin. But however, throughout history, the, the Anubis, you, uh, the dog headed man, as you know, uh, in the Egyptian pyramids, no less, you know, made 
great records of these dog-headed men, right, uh, that carried the pharaohs across the rivers into the afterlife uh, as this uh, when we uh, reach these periods of great transitions uh, over the eons and uh, through the millennia, these dog-headed figures will appear. And here we are with Dogecoin, with this, you know, dog-headed coin just at this moment when we are reaching this, the, the, the river Hades as we're going to cross from this universe into the crypto universe as we cross into this new um, blockchain dimension. And wow, well, boy, was my eye opened. My third eye was open to a whole new crypto universe that I didn't even know existed. Uh, truly fascinating uh, stuff going can I, on. Can I come out for you? Yeah, go ahead, Frost. So that, what a lot of people don't realize um, from the original crypto community, and, and you can speak to some of the original, some of some of the people that are considered, you know, in the crypto community of the early days. I'm referring to 2011, 2012, etc. Is that there is a lot of proverbial symbolism that comes from that time. It may have been referred to as a joke in white papers. It may have been referred to as certain things 10 years ago, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when these things were coming together, when these guys were writing these papers, when there was a couple of them sitting around tables, these guys were thinking of this as more of a religion and a philosophy. There is a lot of this that is yet to be seen to come out, and we don't know what it is. And what have you, what you have just referred to as, as right there, takes a lot of research and a lot of combined, um, a lot of combined due diligence to come across what is referred to as crypto symbolism. Yeah, and not and it t it takes very few people to recognize that. This is why when I was in a room the other day, or maybe it was this same room. Where I asked a simple question. I said, does the white paper call it a joke? And someone answered, yes, it does. And I left it at that. I was hoping someone would come up with this particular answer. There is a lot of symbolism in Bitcoin, in Doge, even in Ripple, even in Litecoin and, and the likes of that. There's a lovely gentleman that Amay referred to earlier, Mr. Rajvinder. I think it was Rajvinder Singh, Amay? Um, yes. Who you, you can yes, go to. And he can educate the wider community on a lot of the symbolism and philosophy that comes from the early days. And he will educate the wider community on what that is. There's a lot of mathematics, et cetera, that goes into it, along with all the other much, much more intellectual stuff. But there's a lot of symbolism that is yet to be seen, which was written for the time of complementation of conventional finance with what they were trying to achieve. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. And Faraz, I'm done. May, so, may I add to that just to... Go ahead. Yeah, just to say something about the person who brought up that uh, Dogecoin theory earlier today. Yes. His name is Tony Schultz, I believe. Yes. And uh, he has a PhD in physics. And he, yeah, and uh, sometimes that's what he would talk about in his rooms. And um, well, he, he has this intersection of physics and uh, uh, metaphysics, I guess is what you would call it. And that's one thing amazing about it. Yeah. So can I, can I, I want to finish my little news part. Uh, I, I only want to respond to, uh, to be honest, I, I think people find meaning in things that have no meaning. I think these are a bunch of kids who knew how to code, who thought it would be funny and it just ballooned and that's what it is. And I, I think that's, that's nothing more than that. Um, and I, but I think there's irony in that and, and maybe there'll be meaning in something that has no meaning. 
But what I wanted to reference is if you go to sheeshtoken.com, sheesh is the really popular meme for, for kids under 25. I'm, I'm 25 now. Uh, so one TikTok influencer created the coin. And 24 hours after he created that coin, it had a um, market cap of $5 million. Right now, it's $2.5 million. But the bottom line is anyone can create a meme token. It's really not that hard. Um, but yeah, I, I don't buy any of that 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 symbolism uh, stuff around Doge. I really think it's just some kids who are, you know, playing around and, uh, you know, just happened. Like anything else uh, that somehow it just happens. Well, it may just be some kids, but what sure. if there is something, and, something and, underneath and it, as, you know? Become to be a... Eighty, eighty-six if I, if I billion. Add, um, to the gentleman, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing your. I, I'm, I'm down here. It's Jonah. Not seeing your name. Down here at the bottom. Who's, um, casting that opinion? I, I agree. I, sure, I, and I'm with you. You know, everyone has their opinion. Everyone can come up with a thousand things entitled to your opinion, but I believe you were kids were writing what they were writing. So I'll leave it at that. Thank it's probably worth mentioning that Dogecoin was uh, founded by an IBM systems engineer and someone who works at Adobe Systems. So it's uh, uh, yeah, yeah they're for, not kids. Yeah, exactly. I kind of agree with Faraz because um, whenever I enter a crypto room and people are talking about crypto, they do ask me to read some books and whatnot on cryptography that came out, uh, you know, ten years before Bitcoin was invented. So I kind of agree with Faraz that you know guys who are doing this probably were influenced by um, all this other stuff. I just also wanted to point out that, like, the difference between Doge and the other meme coins is, like, real liquidity. Like, if the person who created a meme coin decided to sell for a trillion dollars, they probably wouldn't be able to get a trillion dollars because there's no liquidity in their coin. In Dogecoin, there is. So, yeah. Also, Dogecoin was being used in Reddit for tipping each other. So, like, there was utility. I guess it kind of still is utility there. But right now, it's going up, so everybody's holding. So, yeah. All money and all valuations are human psychology driven. And when you realize that, uh, you can control the freaking universe like I do. Yeah, and by the way, I, I, you know, I respect your opinion. I mean, I'm going to agree to disagree, but I respect your opinion. And I look, I think your opinion is a lot more fun than mine. I think, I think, uh, you know, well, <laughs> I, no, to, I to, to be clear, yeah, actually, one of the, it's very interesting. I will never agree to disagree because that doesn't really work with human psychology either. Um, most people let me live rent free in their heads. And so I, I, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well. Here we go. Yeah. We, it's I, fascinating I, how I, you convinced you are Greg that you live in our heads though. Um, who was that? It was me. That was oh, no Tyler. <laughs> it was the Illuminati, Greg. What happened? What happened to yeah. Christopher's face? Um, that they're playing Christopher's a little... face is Listen, I will face. let you know. Actually, when when the platinum level Illuminati members join, I know I know my place. You know, I'm just a demigod, but one day I might usurp. Hold on them. a second, guys. Hold on a second. Tony Schultz just turned into a dog on stage. It's happening. The this truth is, is out there. This is yeah. This I is... yeah. I told him to. <laughs> I can't I mean, take credit. He has a PhD <laughs> oh, in physics. So he must know how to do it. It's so beautiful, the dog. 
I'm just so, looking at the pink the unicorn. Dog, the dog looks like a, a rat with uh, long fur. So many good Instagram okay. captions in this Ray, thing. So, but, but you don't let's like just, uh, small dogs. I mean, all bark and no bite. Let me just tell you what you're you're looking at because I think there's maybe a a lack of education in was I at least close like, in what kind of symbols are being tossed around. So the symbol of the dog-headed man is is thousands upon thousands of years old, right? What you're looking at is a small dog on top of a unicorn, right? That's in the Zodiac, right? And it's been there for thousands upon thousands of years. So when we talk about it's just a meme coin or it's just anything symbolic, I think people need to do their homework, right? Like all shifts in human consciousness happen on scales that no one person can really wrap their heads around. So, I, I thought a small dog on top of a unicorn was like Elizabeth Holmes uh, running Theranos. Oh, children, but then you also understand that some things need to remain hidden until they don't need to remain hidden, right? So anyway, wow. everyone's on I mean, I don't know if you feel threatened. We, we, can, we can argue about why... this for ages, and only, oh, no. only, only the people wrote, who wrote this know the end truth of it. And we can all come up with arguments around it. I can, you can, a hundred people can. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And this, Faraz, your voice with this musical backdrop is freaking amazing. <laughs> and, like, and maybe the great human consciousness that we have is market, right? That's our godhead. And if we want Absolutely. to look for truth, we look for for the truth that the market shows us. So, oh, wait a second. Like, of... this is supposed to creep me Hold out, on, not I'm give me an erection. Just, I'm just gonna like finish what I'm saying, Greg, <laughs> and then it's I'll market. leave. It's and market. No, no, no. Like, I'm digging what your, I'm digging your chili, Tony. You stroke your I'm ego. digging your chili. You can do whatever. You're giving me hot and bothered. Private. Tony, don't, don't, hold yourself. Don't hit an alarm. Okay. I've muted everybody. First, Hold on. We got. I had to put on. I summoned here. I, I, I have enough, and I don't really need to share really. what so I know with, with anyone here. Hello, Tony, 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 Everyone, Tony. Tony, tell us all what you my, know, Tony. All of my writing and all of my code is on my GitHub. You guys can sniff through and get what you want. If you can't read code, learn to code and get with it. But if you're not holding your keys and you don't know how to do cryptography on your own, then you're really not anything much to talk about. I might might hire a developer to go through your code. Tony, Tony, oh, is he gone? Tony, if you want to learn to code better, he's you can gone. talk with me. Uh, yeah. He's gone. He's gone. Tony's gone. Okay, here, here's something. No, no, here's really. Oh, smart. do you want to learn to code? Now, let me let me tell you something about Tony a little bit. Okay, he he will come into the room and talk about what he talked about. If something triggers, then he just might disappear. Don't take it personally, but that's just the way. Uh, Some I don't people take it personally. Well, why? He's like you know? the Loch Ness I, no, monster. No, no, I don't. He is something. I don't. He, you know, some people have. Things about them. He's that, like the you know, cri- he's like a crypto sasquatch. They need to handle this. <laughs> the way well, they handle it. That's, no, that's it's, just it's totally me? it's totally fine. Right. Diva, yeah. Why, so why are you defending the guy? Diva. Because I, I know him. Because Stop I know him. Okay. But that's was what anybody it is. attacking him? Well, uh, 
it's it's a very it's a relative thing. Okay, so let me put it that way. Right, it's a relative thing. Okay. okay. All right. Let's yes. Good. Yes. Thank you. Okay. somebody because that's not going to go anywhere. We don't want to. Let's not I get think... the Illuminati involved. Um, yeah. Yeah. The let's... last thing you want is the Illuminati fighting with each other. It really doesn't turn out well for the. the can plebeians. we? Can we do a so quick? Uganda... Wait. I have an idea. Can we do a quick poll and find out who in the room is a Freemason? Um, maybe we just do a show of hands. If you flash your mic, if you're, tell you. if you know the secret handshake, uh, Akil. I didn't know the Freemasons made it to India, but okay. So um, <laughs> it, it's a diversity. Tyler, they've made it to Africa as well. Yeah. <laughs> Pakistan too. Pakistan too. Thank you. They're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, does and has, does anyone uh, watch the Da Vinci Code in the last uh, three days? No. Okay. So let's get into more headlines. So flash your mics if you have a headline. Um, Akil, go Hi, ahead. Hi, Tyler. I think Monica has been trying to share things since the afternoon until now. Oh, yes, Monica. Sorry. Tyler, you are not giving South Asia space, but I have a yeah. new sideline from China. Okay. Uh, where is Lian? I don't think he's here. But there is an interesting and almost crazy news from China, which is that the... People's Bank of China was actually collaborating with Ant and Tencent to develop the Chinese digital currency. Ah. Now, this is news because, as you know, Ant has been under the scanner and under their radar for a very long time, especially after their IPO went bust and it was pulled back. And also Jack Ma has been in the news for all the wrong reasons, almost going into hiding. But there is a digital event that is happening in China, which is called the Digital China Summit, which has a poster in which Tencent and Ant Financial have actually said that they have been working with the People's Bank of China for this currency since 2017. Now, let me ask you something very important, uh, Monica. On this website for the Digital China Summit, is there or is there not a dog-headed man on the website? <laughs> I, I have no idea, Tyler. I like Next time possess, I will check. Okay, I'm looking at the website now. Um... And no doubt uh, opening a wormhole to the Chinese authorities into my uh, browser. But um, it's, a, it's taking a long time to load. So maybe that's not a good idea. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, it is very interesting, the point you're making, because essentially Alipay, China had two major payment systems, Alipay and WeChat Pay, hmm. uh, owned by Ant Financial and Tencent. And... The uh, Alipay was about to do a huge IPO, and it yes. got it got stopped by the authorities because, yes. it, as we now know, two months later, the authorities had their own grand ambitious plans, uh, which um, they didn't want to compete with Alipay. They wanted to have their own digital currency with their own app, which they've been doing and testing. And we had an update in the previous session about. Uh, new areas of China where the new app is being tested with the digital currency. And now it makes sense that somebody raised the question brilliantly. I forget who, but they deserve a ton of credit. The idea that why isn't this new digital yuan or digital renminbi, the digital Chinese currency, being at, why are they using their own That was me, app? Oh, there you go. It, it was Cheryl. So Cheryl had the brilliant foresight to wonder, well, why is China using their own app? When Why not just add the digital currency to the existing apps of Alipay and WeChat? Which, it, to you, it sounds like um, 
Monica, what you're saying is this is essentially what might be starting to happen. Absolutely, Tyler. I'm not sure why this has been revealed and especially not in, and has come into the public domain via this incidipious uh, accident. Uh, I think that there's much more to it. And if why are we learning about this now? Because the digital UN pilot has been going on for about seven to eight months now. And Ali has been under the scanner and it was there was a record $2.8 billion, uh, $2.8 billion fine on them just recently, last month. So it just is not adding up as to how all these uh, players are suddenly all working together when the Chinese government has been actually clamping down on their monopoly, on their monopolistic ambition in China, as well as, of course, regulating them uh, so that uh, all the data that they actually possess currently, including, uh, remember, uh, Tyler, we've had this long discussion about the lending uh, business in China and other places, the buy now, pay later, etc. And this is huge in China, which is because uh, the bank, uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay don't have a skin in the game. And the regulators are actually asking them to have this loan book uh, so that they actually have a little bit of skin in the game in case loans go bad and not be riding on public lenders. So it's very interesting as to how, as in this is not, for me, it's not making any sense at all, especially this poster being released by accident. It just does not make sense. Yeah, I think they're going to, as Cheryl very presciently um, expressed in the last session, I, it, it's inevitable that they will force, for lack of a better word, Alipay and WeChat Pay to use this uh, new digital currency um, because that's what has all of the adoption because people aren't using the digital, the, the government's own app, and it would be a little strong to force everybody to download this app why not just integrate it into the app they're all using seems like the smart move so it'll it's going to be very interesting to see and that event that you're talking about apparently starts tomorrow on may 8th um super interesting indeed it's uh, an uh, you know as always these headlines come every 24 hours every 48 hours and we try and keep updated on what china's doing with their um, digital cryptocurrency and now and that very I, how long will it be before india introduces theirs do you think oh two years i i, I was in a room with nandan nilakeni they said they got the thing started with the government and they have a timeline of two years but that can change and then what is the they gave people a deadline for when they need to uh kind of liquidate their bitcoin holdings it was something like six months no, Tyler, that no? was supposed to come out as a regulation, but it never did. But ah. what is really interesting uh, this week is that they've done something even more interesting, that the banks are now left up to their own fruition and their own regulatory and uh, compliances, which was the news yesterday, uh, to take a decision on whether they want to support crypto or not in the absence of any regulation. Hmm. Which means and most of the blank- banks are actually clamping down hard and not allowing merchant process transactions, which means people can't really use their uh, bank accounts right. or uh, other means uh, in order to process money or payments into uh, their wallet to actually buy Bitcoin. Hmm. So it's very interesting uh, as to all why all of this is happening, but kind of makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. And the entire Tycon and Framesteam is for all their hard work and putting together such a great event with a huge volume. Uh, there was uh, somebody was listening to the radio or something. Welcome back, Tan. Uh, and we've got Amanda and Pratik in the audience. Um, and welcome back, Andre. Uh, do uh, And here's Dan Miller. 
So um, let me see if you have something to share. Please um, flash your mics. Uh, go, Akil, what do, what do you got? Uh, I got a bit of uh, China news. Okay, go ahead. I think I... Just a second, pulling up the article. Um, yeah, China's emissions now exceed all the developed worlds combined. Ah, uh, yeah, you sent this in the DM. Please, please go on with that. Uh, yeah, just one second, please. Khan has China now, one too. China now accounts for more greenhouse gases uh, emissions than all of the world's developed nations combined, according to new research from Rhodium Group. And uh, they kind of have a graph called Pollution King. China emissions of six heat-trapping gases, including carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide, rose to 14.09 billion tons of CO2, equivalent in 2019, edging out the total of Organization for Economic Cooperation Development members by about 30 million tons, according to the New York-based Climate Research Group. And I sent you the article that's linked to this, which is uh, pre-estimates of 2020. And yeah. the pre-estimates of 2020 say, um, 2020 estimates, it's gone up by 1.7% more than 2019. Yeah. Dan, does that fit with um, what you had? Is it a surprise yeah. to you? or is this... Well, no, that, that, I saw that one, but I didn't, I, I, this is re- definitely related and also related to the fact that you were talking about how you live on an island in Thailand, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, how, how far above sea level are you? I'm at sea level. <laughs> but I'm on a I'm on a hill. I'm on the largest hill on the island, so I can go up to about 300 meters above sea level. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, this is this is an article. Um, uh, overshooting two degrees C risks rapid and unstoppable sea level rise from Antarctica. And basically, it's, it talks about how the Paris goals are 1.5 to keeping temperatures down to 1.5 to 2 degrees C above pre-industrial temperatures. And at that level, the warming would continue at a steady pace. But if we, uh, but the Paris Accord actually, the actual pledges uh, and that last article as well, uh, says we're on track for three degrees C of warming, or uh, I would think actually even more. And when that happens, then these uh, new models of uh, sea level rise and the, the nature of ice in Antarctica and stuff show that there would be a rapid um, sea level rise that would be, you know, kind of mind-blowing, by the way. The last time temperatures were what they are today, uh, sea levels were, I think it says, I missed it, but like uh, six to nine meters higher than they are today. That's when the temperature was the same. That was 125,000 years ago. But to go back to... Um, where they would be at, at three degrees warming. Uh, then you have to go back a, you know, a few million years, and then sea levels were about, you know, so, uh, let's say, 20, 20 meters higher. Um, actually, and then you could look at it a different way. The, la- the last time the, the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere was as high as it is today, which is about 420 parts per million, sea levels were about 75 feet, like 20 meters higher. So those are just, um, and part of what people don't understand is that that takes a really long time to, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years for all that melting to take place and to reach those very high numbers, which of course happened in the past over 
10 or 20,000 years because CO2 levels were rising so slowly. Now they're rising 100 times faster. Um, so we don't really know quite how things will react. But uh, a sea level rise of just one or two meters this century is kind of mind-blowing for infrastructure around the world and, and coastal cities. And then, the, and it could rise so much in the following century that um, literally the bottom third of Florida is no longer on the map. So that doesn't sound like such thing. a bad if thing. Looking, uh, if you're looking to follow uh, Tyler like, and get your own place, I'd I mean, get a higher spot. Yes. Get, like do honestly, it. do we get rid of the Jersey Shore and the southern tip of Florida and like you know the a lot, like a lot of come Florida. on like they'll well, they'll have time to move. They'll they'll, they'll, they'll have time to move. There's nothing. As Woody Allen said, there's nothing wrong with Southern California that a little rise in ocean level couldn't cure. And he yeah. said that a long time ago, I think Annie Hall or something. There's a lot of major cities, Miami very notably, uh, Bangkok very notably, the whole uh, Bangladesh uh, is, I think. Shanghai. Yep. There's... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of empty land too. So um, yes. I, I, wouldn't be too, uh, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Oh, one question I'm I have. I'm looking forward to it. For for Dan, I mean, I wanted to ask you this a couple of sessions ago, but what do you think is the timeline for Armageddon? When, when do you think the world is going to turn into a crisp and this, you know, well, people can't live in it? What's the question? When do you think the world will turn into a crisp? Uh, I think it it won't be the... Uh, Armageddon. 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 Timeline to Armageddon. The timeline to Armageddon. Well, that, that actually is not a climate science. It's a, it's a human social... See, I'm not, you know... The planet Basically, we just want you to tell us when the world is over. Yep, yep. No, it's uh, not like over. Make it over under or Climate change or has already happened. It's already creating, you know, many, many billions of dollars of, of damage, you know, every year just from floods, fires, droughts, etc. I actually worry a lot about the droughts because they that, that leads I to famine. I think that the, so that's the already damage from really bad happened. climate science has actually done more damage than climate change. Because climate change does exist, but bad climate science is is like probably the worst damage of all. I'll go there's add it up for you and get back to There's a lot of it. great climate science all over the place and it's easy to find. So no no problem well, there. And, and if uh, you're yeah. if you're one of the if you're one of the people that misinterprets the data then that might seem like uh, a, a, a correct statement but otherwise no yeah i would agree with you but we're about to get a hundred people to leave from this room <laughs> yeah. um, you said you were going to do a room on this topic and i suggest that you do so that i can i can eat you for lunch over there instead of here where everybody's going to get bored to tears yeah uh, i appreciate it i get get back to the anyway the well, by the way uh, another news from india regarding china india just banned today all wireless products made out of China. So that means Bluetooth speakers, earphones, smartphones, Wi-Fi routers, now not will be allowed into India that have been made in China. Interesting. What was this? Where is that being reported from, Tom? Uh, hang on. Apple products as well. One second. Yeah, apparently all. This is in... Uh, well, it's in, uh, it's in Reuters. It's in Reuters. Good enough for me. Uh, the interesting thing about that is it will uh, probably force many manufacturers to relocate perhaps to India. That might be part of India's move is they could put pressure on China. Uh, well, you've also got, remember, Taiwan and yeah. you've got uh, Vietnam. Vietnam Thailand, is both, Vietnam yeah. is exploding as a result of this at the moment, honestly. Uh, I just want to say... And see... Malaysia as well. Yeah. Malaysia, quite a lot of the... The U.S. sort of companies have their assembly plants in Malaysia as well. I have friends in Vietnam 
uh, very dear friends of mine who now live in Ho Chi Minh, who it's it's commonly reported that there are Chinese nationals trying to sneak into Vietnam to get their jo- the jobs that left China that went into Vietnam. Uh, we we are making iPhones and Xiaomi phones in Bangalore um, at manufacturing plants yeah, in India already. So Xiaomi very intelligently realized that uh, if they didn't do that, they were going to lose the Indian market, and that the right the the, the smart decision was but, to start hiring in India so that they weren't Xiaomi wasn't blocked from the Indian market. I think Xiaomi is brilliant for doing that. Well, a lot, a lot of the Chinese companies, you know, in the last few years did shift. Right. Yeah. For example, some of the domestic uh, appliance manufacturers moved their plants to uh, Mexico, yep. uh, Nicaragua, as well as Egypt, uh, Jordan. And then in India, there's been a huge amount of investment from Chinese companies coming through Singapore, Maldives, UAE and, and the Seychelles. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to go where the money is. They don't care about the borders. Speaking, speaking of moving and the ocean tides rising, the, there was a really interesting, the entire uh, of Jakarta, uh, the capital of Indonesia, is the the government is trying to move now because it's under in the process of becoming underwater and they're moving to a new island, moving to Borneo and, and to deal with the, the it's a, I, I'm trying to remember the maker of the documentary uh, that's covering this, but it's one of the most ambitious uh, projects on the planet other than the one belt one road initiative to move the entirety of jakarta to borneo uh which is very well under you know well well documented underway it's a entire it's a massive undertaking but it's entirely driven by the fact that jakarta's uh sinking for lack of a better word now there's actually more to that story than you would imagine it's not only the city sinking the thing is that the sewage and water uh, possibility the water treatment plants both for the sewage and for the water is there in the in, in the region especially around Jakarta so they need to move to solve that solution as well yeah. you done speaking thank you Johan See, China there might, there might be a, um, there might be an uncelebrated uh, benefit from the rising sea levels um, looking at a headline on on BBC just now okay um, on the Imminent um, re-entry of a bit of Chinese space junk. Uh, oh, that's over, right. Over, over the weekend, yeah. Um, there's a there's a statement from <clears throat> U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd yep. Austin, which um, well, it, it, it might be brief, but it's incredibly reassuring in its detail and its technical uh, prowess. He says, "We're hopeful that it will land in a place where it won't harm anyone." <laughs> right. Uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has said, hopefully in the ocean or someplace like that. Yes, uh, we don't know. We're not sure. Which is which is which is terrific. It's um, <laughs> so the more the more the more ocean, the safer we are. <laughs> I would just like to look. Even I have limits, and we're really digging on an unrepresented group here on Clubhouse, and it's the whales. We need to worry about the, the whales. <laughs> Whale lives matter. Come on. So uh, speaking of space Tyler, junk entering, yes. I need to hear you say it. I'm not falling for that trick. So the, I think we need to preserve rugby and uh, what else do they make in Wales? Well played, Tan. Well played. I love you. Yeah. I love you. So Elon Musk is, uh, as somebody reported, appearing on Saturday Night Live, but he is and this is driving a lot of exuberance uh, in, in speculation on Dogecoin, 
Uh, however, Elon Musk is now warning people to invest with caution as Dogecoin rallies ahead of his SNL appearance. Uh, I sent you Finally. the article. Yes, writing on Twitter, the billionaire crypto enthusiast said that while cryptocurrency is promising, people should invest with caution. And I think uh, that's interesting, Tyler, that uh, recently, uh, I think he met all his goals on Tesla vested shares. He's going to be released $35 billion worth of uh, you know, vested shares soon. So he hit all the targets. It's, uh, it's, it's funny that, right? I mean, you know, he managed to push uh, the price point of every target. Kieran, did you see the tweet from some of the engineers that uh, tweeted yesterday? That they said, please don't believe everything uh, Elon Musk tweets about Tesla. Exactly. After the, the things he said we have are doing, they're some years away yet. Guys, I mean, the thing is, for him, I don't know if you guys remember, he, uh, he set a 12th target that will release $35 billion worth of you know, uh, shares that vested over a period of time. That's, I think he's coming to the final tranche. I think he's going to be... He's going to be the most, you'll hear the most sensible tweets from him, I think, from here on. Because given that, you know, he got his most of his Western shares, <laughs> you know, hitting all the targets. It just, it's the manipulation at the, you know, the highest order. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's never beyond indicated at work, right? And, and on top of that, he's living to fight another day. I, I can't really blame him. We, we, we are the ones that are giving this to him. Like we here in tech news around the world have had full self-driving conversations before uh, where people were propping him up and uh, and all of that. And I get it. Like, I, I do too. I believe in the guy. I actually like what he's doing. I just also know what he's doing. And nobody believes you until he walks away with the money bags out of, out of the bank. <laughs> uh, okay. So good morning. We, yes, good morning. Got, Go for it. Hey, good morning. This is Bradley. So I've got something. Maybe I joined a little late. So maybe you guys already covered this. Okay. Uh, what what I'm excited about this morning is the Definity uh, Mercury Genesis event happening in about 45 minutes. What is that? Definity uh, is probably the interesting blockchain topic of the weekend. So it's, it's the future of the internet. Um, IPFS, it, it's going to work with Ethereum uh, dis distributed applications and literally... Um, I, I think it's going to be huge. So you can go reserve a seat for this um, on the Definity.org site. And That's when, where I'm going to be in 45 minutes. And when did your brother start the company? I have no affiliation whatsoever, <laughs> but that is, it is the future. Yeah. Um, I think the future of the internet is the internet, to be honest, but I can be wrong. But there's a, there is a lot of uh, amazing potential ahead for all kinds of blockchain uh, innovations. And it's there due to the sheer number of them, it's hard to predict which ones will have traction long term. But uh, I, I don't blame people it, for getting You should ask the question, if Balaji is going to be there, then, then I, I would show up. But if not, then yeah, I, I wouldn't. There it is. <laughs> so, like i mean like he talks about the crypto oracle all the time he's my crypto oracle um it's not even that i agree with everything that he says but he's definitely leading the hype train and so if he's not there then it, then it's not on the hype train and i don't want to be on it that's a very good logical uh hard that's a point that's hard to debate against um you're right about that and so the question uh, that becomes a very valid question is if Bilodge that's actually quite helpful. I think I, I think I actually that's a helpful just frame. 
That's a helpful you know, friend, you know, actually. Thank you, thank you, Cal, and thank you, Tyler. And I actually just ascended to another plane of existence because you finally acknowledged me after weeks uh, of being helpful in here and and, <laughs> <laughs> and actually and stepped other, out of your, day, your you fourth thing, wall man. moderator uh, stuff. Yeah, another, you just, the, you just the, broke through it. Thank you. The another the other thing you did the other day that we it's a small story that Peloton came up right and like oh this Peloton thing it's you know it's defective and you just said eh we're gonna wash away it's gonna that's what it's done today more or less <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks so God. there you go you got that I like <laughs> I like to be called on my on my failures as well as my successes I also told you that you shouldn't expect some crazy AR glasses at that last Apple event and it didn't happen either um, I I but there are I, I'm occasionally wrong, but I usually notice it before anybody else does. Yeah, there's guys. I got a conspiracy a bit here, um, so Dan can get involved in this one. Um, just wanted to wonder, like you know the Dogecoin tweet that Elon did right back on um, what was it September uh, April twenty uh, eighth? He said Doge Father. Uh, no, he did before that. Sorry. Now at the same time, did you know that the credits they lost credits, like uh, from Stella Stellantis? Uh, basically, um, they lost 300 million euros of credits. They uh, they didn't want to buy the credits anymore from um, Tesla at that time. And Tesla makes 1.6 billion dollars selling credits. That's the environmental credits uh, to rivals and other automakers. So I'm just wondering whether this is all time just to boost up Dogecoin so you could make up that uh, loss. Like you I said, have another cryptocurrency thing from Bloomberg. I'm reading it. Slot-like. Go ahead, Johan. I'm reading it. Uh, uh, your DM, but go ahead. The thing is that uh, apparently there have been a, a targeted Telegram crypto scam uh, regarding uh, some coin called Reddit's Wall Street Bets Forum, where targeted a probable cryptocurrency scam with leftist victims with at least two million dollars in losses. Uh, yeah. They have u- been using the Telegram messaging services. Uh, our front title will probably post the link to this Bloomberg article right off. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's still happening over and over again. You yeah. are done speaking. So the... Tyler, I think we should set a rule in the room. Uh, any crypto scam, unless if it's billions, I don't think we should mention it because millions is a loose change now, right? Look at Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> we should set a rule there. <laughs> Yeah, so on this one, just to add a little color here, the what, what Bloomberg is reporting, that the Wall Street Bets Reddit forum, which is what led the whole GameStop, you know, short squeeze, you know, fiasco from a, from a month or two ago, uh, that whole community is now being targeted in, in a Telegram cryptocurrency scam whereby they are being enticed uh, to buy new coins uh, that are, in long story short, are junk and they're going to get scammed and um, perhaps not that surprising after all. And um, yeah, it is what it is. That's part of the fun of being in, in the Wall Street Bets community, perhaps that's part the tax uh, that you pay for being part of that community. Um, can we have I... a... Yeah, you, you can. Maria, go ahead. Or was it's it Liz? Lives. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Liz, go ahead. I was I wanted to share some African news and I'm glad um, Wana is in the room. So yeah. Uganda has introduced 12% internet data uh, tax. And so now what it means is that users will have to pay in order for you to be on Facebook live, you would now need to pay 27 US dollars. That's how high 
it would that's how much it would cost you to just be using the internet and so uh, the government claims that oh this is for them to raise their income tax but a lot of critics are saying that um obviously because the president of uganda has has a reputation of having some really regressive policies on the internet and just social media in general. We saw that last year during their elections where they pretty much shut down internet altogether. I think social media altogether. And so now users of the internet, I think have the numbers of users um, online have actually gone down to 5 million from 12 million in a very short space of time. So I wanted to know perhaps Mbwana, who's on the ground, might be able to share more light because this is just $27 to just use Facebook is ridiculous, in my opinion. Like, I, I, Africa generally tends to have pretty high rates on internet data, but $27 for Africa is just, yeah, it, I just, I don't understand what this guy is trying to do. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the articles here. Here's one. It says Uganda imposes 12% tax on all internet packages. Uh, so they're going to tax uh, internet data uh, like, um, like many other uh, goods, apparently. The government has imposed the tax now approved by parliament because the country had debts and blah, blah, blah. Uganda is already believed to be one of the most... Uh, excuse me, one of the most expensive countries in Africa for data rates. Thank you. Thank you. And the data tax follows the failure of an attempt to raise tax on applications. Ah, so they had previously tried to put taxes on apps like WhatsApp and Twitter. Right. And that yeah, back in 2018. Yes, the social media tax, they called it. And that didn't work. So now they're just taxing essentially all the data plans for access to the Internet. Which is yeah, interesting. Like, yeah. I, I, I believe this is like a trend that's very worrying in Uganda. Um, I, I, like, I think there's two parts to it. One, um, you know, the, the governments are trying to adapt to the fact that they're not making enough telco revenues from traditional SMS and calls. People are obviously switching to right. WhatsApp calls. And, you know, I even actually, by the way, was thinking that imagine if tech news around the world was like rebroadcasted into Uganda radio, like for, you know, like AM FM radio. Like we could get in trouble if you know if someone here was associated with that because we're circumventing you know um, some licenses for radio. But it could easily happen, right? Like it, you know, it's it's not not not, not a far fetched thing. I mean, I think the other aspect is political, right? Museveni, the president, wants to squash any um, um, sort of campaigns that might you know uh, promote uh, political opponents. Obviously, Bobby Wine. And others, that's the, the uh, main opposition candidate. Um, and yeah, this follows very closely what I see in Tanzania, where I'm from, where, um, you know, uh, the, the government tries to, to, to block any dissent from opposition. But also um, in Tanzania, we have a, a, a charge like a, a, you can be charged for economic sabotage if you are disrupting um, a traditional revenue sources. So, so like I, I know companies that have or even employees of tech companies that have been arrested because they are subverting, you know, through the disruptive, you know, maybe they're using WhatsApp customer service or they're, or they're um, right. uh, finding other channels that don't generate revenue for the government through telco traditionally calls or SMSs. And so they get charged for economic sabotage. This may, may change with our new president now in Tanzania, but yeah, like um, the, the, that's basically the, you know, my take on it, kind of political and just revenue generating, um, disruption that they're kind of like just trying to find ways to stop that.
Yeah, because if they're using Iguana, but, but guys, don't you think that the, um, these countries, who, you know, who provide the internet access and their users basically look at the adverts, but they are not able to earn any taxes at all? I have a question uh, for Mabwana and, and Liz. Um, so how does the math actually work here? It's 12%, but that turns into 27 extra dollars. Is it like 12% of your, your internet bill? Is it like a 12% surcharge on data costs? Like how does the math actually work out here? Because if it was 12% for $27, that would mean that they were paying like hundreds of dollars already for, for access, right? I think it's, I haven't read the article, but I'm assuming it's 12% on the bundles, right? I think, um, right. I've met, yeah, I've met but is it like well. home, home internet bundles or, no, or no, mobile bundles mobile, or mobile data? Mobile data is so, common in form that people access. Uh, yeah, that's what I yeah. would, that's what I would think. But 12% being 27 extra dollars means that it's like they're paying t like $300, two or $300 two, for like 200 internet. a month. Come, yeah. That's it. Yeah, and, is and that are they really doing that? That doesn't seem that doesn't seem yeah. Uganda super expensive on some it's things. It's very yeah. expensive. It just doesn't make sense at all. Wow. Well, um, I would love to if 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 I could ask that anybody um, who knows the math here DM me the math, then I'm gonna turn a laser beam on this because that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I also don't know how that works out. I'm, um. But my guess is that the telcos will start to fiddle around with the data plans a little bit, trying to try and, you know, because already um, in many African countries, um, there's a huge amount of like uh, the, the bundles, you know, for example, WhatsApp and Facebook, Instagram often get bundled or given away for free. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming there'll be some 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 adjustments to the uh, data plans to, to try and make it easier. But yeah, it's um, so it's, I, it's I've run the. I've run this business model for some very large companies, even with the latest and greatest gear. And that would indicate that there is some kind of like 800% profit margin or, or, or something ridiculous uh, like that. I, or, well, or in fact, if you're talking about the profit margin, that would mean that it would be like a 95% profit margin um, and, and, uh, and a markup of like 800%. Uh, so on these services, uh, maybe more. Um, and so I'm curious if there's like a lack of competitive environment there. Um, what's the government besides just the, the surcharge? Um, like what, what is causing the high cost basis for this thing? Because a 12% tax on the face of it doesn't seem like a crazy thing for a government to impose, um, you know, based on what happens elsewhere in the world. Uh, but the crazy thing seems to be that 12% equals $27. That's nuts. Yeah, I just so it's two hundred and thirty dollars a month then for a plan. Yeah. I just looked that, up the that, cost. Yeah, I I have the data right here uh, from Numbio, which can tell you the cost of anything in any country, in any currency. So I'm looking up um, cost of Uganda, and it's got everything you can imagine from Coke and Pepsi and water and beer and oranges and tomato, etc., etc., etc. Uh, apartments, cars, childcare, sports, utilities, and then it has here cost of um, internet, uh, both mobile and home utilities. So for it's ten cents per minute of prepaid mobile. It's um, internet of sixty megabytes per second is sixty nine dollars. Megabits. Yeah, hold on one second. Uh, 69 yeah. megabits always. per second. That's right. Yeah. 69. Yeah. Always in, always in bits per second. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 60 yeah. megabits. What else? 
What I'll so do this, is the, how does this make sense? It's well, it's sixty nine dollars for. I don't know what the um, it says. Unlimited data is sixty nine dollars uh, per month. So the so generally mobile data is not going to be listed in terms of megabits per second. That's usually a, a wired uh, connection, and then it's it's still. Uh, You're right. Um, this is uh, this is for to, cabled. You're right. Yeah. Uh, um, which is uh, okay. The mobile, the majority Sorry, of what you want is mobile. Yeah, I, I got you. This is mostly for if your social media page is used to transmit sound. I'm reading here in on the Tech Cabal, it's a news outlet. So, and they're saying that if your social media page is used to transmit sound, video, or data, or data intended for simultaneous reception by the public, which is i.e. broadcasting, um, then that's what would cost twenty-seven dollars. But how do they even? But is, is that a flat that? fee? Yeah, is that a flat fee? Yes, it is. Um, you would need you will need to pay an application of, I think this is the Ugandan shilling of a hundred thousand, which is equivalent to twenty seven thousand twenty seven dollars. So they're basically saying that you need a broadcasting license to broadcast audio on the internet. And so th this is this is what I was wondering because if it's literally on a twelve, like I don't know where the percent thing came from. So there's a twelve percent number, there's a twenty seven number, maybe not related. Yeah. The 27 number sounds like a broadcasting license, yes. which is backwards. That is backwards for sure, uh, compared to the fact that nearly anybody can come on here on a clubhouse and yap their mouth whether they know anything or not for zero dollars uh, and, and waste all of our time or maybe give us a great time, depending on uh, on on. <laughs> but but so I, I do think I do think that twenty seven dollars, if it's a separate thing, I just I, I want to. I want to understand this issue better. And it sounds like we're, um, we're putting a couple of these topics together and I think confusing them might not allow us to hit the right problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I'll need to read it. And I can also I have one investment in Uganda. It's a gaming studio called Cola studios. I can have Daniel come on the, on stage at some point. And if, you know, uh, maybe the, tomorrow or another, or another day and he can explain, I, I just but as, as I mentioned, like, you know, it's yeah, consider me interested in Tanzania we already have a lot of this. So, you know, and, and Museveni and our former president, um, Michael Fuli, are, are pretty close. And just to give you context, I need a blogging license in Tanzania <laughs> if I want to blog. Wow. Uh, um, just, wow. Yeah, so, you know, like I was shocked initially about three or four years ago about this, but it's become pretty, pretty standard now. And, you know, a lot of this, this, this kind of uh, moves well, by government. Moana, actually, in UAE, you need an influencer license as well, which oh, is about three and a half, four thousand dollars a year. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, influencer so license. actually, <laughs> for, for, for all you folks who want to do in, who have to do influencer licenses, blogger licenses or broadcasting licenses, uh, get in touch with me and let's do a room on tactics you can use to get around this stuff while we also fight the good fight and get rid of it. Cause this set up a satellite at Greg. What, so here's, here's what's yeah. the impact of uh, Starlink on, on stuff. Like I, you guys, I can make the, the numbers make sense here. So MTN Thanks is one of the largest uh, data providers in Uganda. They have monthly, if you go to the mtn.co.ug website, you'll see their monthly bundles for mobile data. The monthly package uh, at the high end costs 550,000 UGX, whatever their currency is in Uganda. That converts to $170 per month for that mobile data package. That's nuts. That's if there's crazy. anyone who can afford to be on the internet in Uganda, just please raise your hand. Maybe you could share with us what's going on there. 
but then your 12 percent does come out a... to 20 some dollars yeah yeah that's interesting um also the um akil uh, mentioned starlink i'm a big believer in starlink but it doesn't solve this problem uh, and the reason it doesn't is because you still need uh well Gen 1 Starlink requires ground stations to be in-country because they don't have inter-satellite links. Um, when they get the inter-satellite link thing figured out, which is mostly about making sure that they don't turn into uh, space debris that doesn't burn up in the atmosphere, the optics are really hard um, to, get, to get to degrade gracefully. Um, if they get to inter-satellite links, they could theoretically get around this problem, but ultimately sovereignty will rule over technology, including landing rights. If you have you know, one of these antennas out in the open and it's not licensed, they can still get you that way um, and, and they can track it. There are satellites that are going to be able to track whether you're a Starlink, trying to use Starlink. Um, oppressive regime regimes with weapons will always win over over technology. Near how about how about closed networks, decentralized networks? That's better um, because essentially what you're going to do is try to you know, use uh, side channels and steganography yep. um, or, or encryption um, in mass. But it's really easy to, like, for example, for Tor, it's really easy to tell whether somebody is running a Tor node. And so it's got to be, the, the problem is for any high bandwidth stuff, the, the high bandwidth makes side channels hard. Um, so it's hard to hide a lot of data being exfiltrated unless there's so many people doing it that it, that it becomes the I am Spartacus. Effect. There you go. So yeah. there's, there's a headline that just came out uh, an hour or so ago uh, that the SEC chairman in the, is talking about Bitcoin. And when the SEC chairman talks about Bitcoin, uh, everyone should <laughs> who has any interest in Bitcoin should pay the fuck attention because he's going to lay down the law of the land in America with regard to Bitcoin. And he's got some new comments to make here, which I will now share with you. So the SEC chairman's name is Gary Gensler. And he says uh, the headline is more investor protections are needed for Bitcoin and crypto markets. Uh, but specifically, Gary Gensler told CNBC live on CNBC just an hour or so ago that he sees the attraction to Bitcoin for traders, but regulation is needed to prevent fraud and other issues which, well, we just covered some of those fraud issues about 10 minutes ago. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have boomed since late last year, fueled by increased institutional adoption for some of the more established names and increased interest from retail traders. That's true. Uh, more importantly, here's the interesting quote from uh, the SEC chairman. To the extent that something is a security, the SEC has a lot of authority. Yes, <laughs> that's a very understated point he's making there. Uh, that's their entire job is the Security Exchange Commissioner. So the to the extent that something is a security, the SEC has a lot of authority. And a, and a lot of crypto tokens, I won't call them cryptocurrencies for this moment, are indeed securities. So he's very clear to state that crypto uh, he doesn't use the word tokens because to him, and he won't use or he calls them crypto tokens because to him they are securities. They are not currencies. So that's why he refuses to call them cryptocurrencies. But here's where it gets really interesting. In this quote here at the end, he says, we need to update and freshen our rules to ensure that while retail investors and any individual has First Amendment rights to speak and so forth, that they're not misleading the public. They're not manipulating the public, manipulating the markets. And so he feels the need for more. Uh, regulation against people um, 
scamming, uh, for lack of a better word, or taking advantage of uh, investor retail investors. So that's something for the crypto enthusiast rooms to dive into. So deep length. Yeah. We, we need giant factories at sea uh, that build yachts for people to spend their Bitcoin. Otherwise, um, the on-ramps and the off-ramps are going to be the places where the authorities like this come in and regulate. And they will regulate with extreme prejudice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not uh, an authority on how to translate SEC chairman into, you know, pedestrian English, but I would take him to mean that uh, we can expect uh, quite tight regulation in the U.S. Uh, in the near term. Yeah, the SEC is not actually the one to worry about. They're relatively toothless. Um, but uh, I think when the full, you know, kind of when 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 the curtains fall and people realize what Bitcoin could mean and what cryptocurrencies could mean for freedom. Uh, sovereign nations are going to move and they're going to move with far scarier, far more diabolical, um, you know, behind the scenes stuff than the SEC uh, chairman. Um, he's kind of like the he's the principal of the school, um, but there's still there. <laughs> there's large donors and influences in the government that are going to not want this to, to happen. He he's not the, the school warning. bully, right? The, the school bullies will come out. Yeah, he just, exactly. He just gave the warning. He just gave the early warning. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's Mr. Nice Guy before uh, the the real stuff starts happening. Like like at the end of the day, the U.S. dollar is backed by the world's best uh, military. Um, <laughs> that that's what it is. It's a psychology <laughs> thing. Um, and look, the the world's best military is in peril right now. That's the biggest scary thing for the U.S. dollar not these cryptocurrencies, as long as there are not um, enough, like basically decentralized out of sovereign control on ramps and off ramps for people to turn their money into real stuff. Um, and uh, unless those exist in mass, then the biggest threat towards the US dollar is is China and other military supremacy, uh, not uh, not this stuff. It's a red herring. So the Chip shortage continues to make waves now, and, and it's getting into the really mainstream media now in the U.S. Uh, CNBC reporting the global chip shortage is starting to have major real-world consequences. So it's gone from the realization and the warnings from the chip manufacturers and fabs uh, now to real-world consequences are now uh, going to be felt. Uh, and the key points in this article are uh, as technology has advanced, semiconductor chips have spread from computers and cars to toothbrushes and and uh, clothes dryers. They now lurk beneath the hood of a surprising number of products. Yep, that checks out. But demand for chips is continuing to outstrip supply and car makers are no longer the only companies feeling the pinch. Yep, that's true. Many companies, particularly those in China who have been hit by sanctions, are boosting their stockpiles of in-demand chips to try to ride out the storm. But these but that's making chips even harder to get hold of for other firms. Uh, that makes sense too. The chip hoarding uh, is no doubt going to happen as there's a limited supply. Everyone knows it, and um, it's going to become um, a, a very tight bottleneck uh, for a lot of uh, consumer goods. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see which companies are able to sustain and which ones might uh, inevitably fall victim to this uh, global chip shortage. Yeah, this is why um, one, a fun, fundamental part of my investment portfolio is actually lasers. 
um, which I'm very happy about for a variety of reasons. Um, but we really need to decentralize chip fabrication. Um, it, people think that you've got to have a giant um, centralized infrastructure to get the economies of scale, but it turns out that you don't. Uh, wow. So I think more yeah. chips being produced in a backyard near you, um, uh, supplying these companies and putting some resilience to the supply chain is really what we need to do. I, yeah, we, we need, need to stop centralizing less, yeah. everything because the untold costs of centralization are this. This is like we this never got worked into the model. And so the model was stupid because we all could have predicted this. Like you literally have supply chain professionals that should know about second sourcing being a thing. And they have blinders on when it comes to the fucking chip at the center of the device. Yeah. Uh, and and this, this was being yelled in their faces by me and other people and saying, come on, what's the deal? But there's so much cognitive dissonance surrounding it because it's so hard to second source the chip that they just don't do it. And then we have a single point of failure and then this happens. And that's why I can't get my freaking F-350 diesel for six months. Yeah, so the last the last paragraph in this article uh, really covers it well. And the point that uh, Greg is making, which they title Tech Sovereignty, nations are now being forced to think about how they can increase the number of chips they produce. The vast majority of the world's chips are made in China and Taiwan, while the US is the second biggest producer the EU or the European Commission, the executive arm of the EU, has said it wants to build up chip manufacturing capacity in Europe as part of an effort to become more self-reliant on what it sees are critical technology. Europe currently accounts for less than 10% of global chip production, although that is up from 6% five years ago. It wants to boost that figure to 20% as and is exploring investing 20 to 30 billion euros to make it happen. U.S. tech giant Intel has offered to help, but it reportedly wants 8 billion euros in public subsidies towards building a semiconductor factory in Europe. The C Intel CEO met with two EU commissioners in Brussels last Friday after meeting with German ministers the day before. Uh, and here's the quote from Intel CEO. What we are asking for from both the US and EU is to make it competitive for us to do it here compared to in Asia. Politico Europe, uh, 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 he told Politico Europe in an interview where he was cited saying that he was seeking roughly 8 billion euros in subsidies. Yeah, so this is the problem. Like an ounce of prevention would have been worth a pound of cure. Uh, but Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of Intel, is one of the dumbest people in existence. And so giving him $8 billion is not going to solve the problem. It's going to make it worse. And so we're in this pickle now. We need to go back and go back to basics and not rely on Intel because basically Intel used to be great. And then a bunch of idiot accountants and lawyers came in and took over the company for, away from engineers uh, and people that knew about how to do TikTok right. Uh, the, the fundamental strategy of Intel laid by the best business and technology people that ever existed, the people that created Silicon Valley. And now it's been taken over by idiots and don't give them 8 billion euro or $8 billion or 8 billion anything uh, because we need to go back to basics and uh, basically disintermediate uh, these companies from fabrication. We, uh, that, that is the only resilient thing to do. We need to not just have second sources. We need to have 10th, 11th, 12th sources and 100th sources and all those kinds of things. These companies cannot be trusted with money. So speaking of um, <clears throat> the Apple AirTags thing that was has been ongoing, and some people bought them today. Boris, who joins us regularly, has some now, and uh, Jane in Hong Kong has some. Um, uh, Amazon partners with Tile, the, the AirTag 
the original AirTag uh, Tile. Uh, so interesting to see Amazon partners with Tile to take on Apple AirTags. Amazon partnered with Tile and Smart Lock Maker Level to beef up its mesh network for tracking items. The move will help Tile better compete with Apple, which has over a billion devices on its network for tracking items with its new AirTags. <clears throat> so it's, uh, I think, T Tile, by the way, was part of the antitrust hearings recently against Apple. Uh, interesting to see them partnering with Amazon. It turns out uh, making, thank you for this link, by the way, Shirley, in my DMs, that it was um, turning lemons into lemonade, as Tile has found a fantastic partner in Amazon. I think it's. I think it's certainly interesting. I don't, I don't think Tile are competing with with AirTags really at all. You know, it's a, it's inevitable that they will end up joining the the Find My network, and it'll be advantageous for 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 Apple all around. I, I don't. I don't think Apple feels threatened by by Tile at all. I don't know what you think about that. No, there. I I think they'll have an extra little functionality that Tile won't be able to have inside of the iOS app, giving it a sort of unfair advantage for AirTags, but. Well, you, you can that's be assured. That's the thing. You, you can you, you can join you can join that as a third party provider. Yeah, you can join the Find My network now. You, so I, you I, can I, join I don't think it's too far-fetched. Yeah, you can join on unfair footing. Yes, of course. Yep. And I can exactly right. I can join your house and live in your house, but you're not going to let me sleep with your wife. That's just the reality. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a, uh, uh, that's the funniest drop. thing I've heard in this. Mic drop. Actually, in terms of the Apple tiles, there's an interesting thing for developers. They actually allowed developers to play around with it. They found a menu in, within. So that might be the reason why um, they might be concerned about tile because Amazon has a legacy of sort of allowing open sort of trials with their software. You, and know, you know what the problem is, Hammond, Hammond from Toronto and Tyler. You know what the oh, problem sorry, is, is that most... That. <laughs> um, uh, most people who own Apple devices and love Apple and drool all over their products would let them would let Tim Cook come into their house and sleep with their wife or whoever. Um, and that's the problem. We let them run roughshod over us as consumers and basically say, thank you. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Wait, is Tim Cook? Isn't Tim Cook? Oh boy, that no. metaphor really fell apart very quickly. Keep your no, no, data no. correct, okay? Yes. Somebody said that before. You're in, you got your inputs and outputs uh, backwards, sir. Right? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes. Look, uh, look. You should really be careful because he's not what he seems, and and he might just do it to make an example out of you. So how, don't let him in your house. How, how do you know? Personal experience with him? Well, well yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Non-disclosure um, agreement. Yeah, pers personal, personal experience. Personal experience. I've been in a room one-on-one -on -one with the guy, and I felt so uncomfortable I had to leave the whole company. Okay. <laughs> Good if job. you say so, that's just a joke. They, well, no, they, I, I, the no, Silicon Valley casting couch. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, really, I really think there should be a breaking news item here. <laughs> Come on. There it is. I just basically revealed it. Yeah. Wow. Greg Duffy leaves Apple because Tim Cook made him feel uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Whoa. Remember, you're on YouTube now, too. <laughs> D was hilarious. Oh, boy. Ah. So we'll see that in the, in the news tomorrow. I'll be curious to see which publications pick that up. Um, yeah, but uh, Amazon with AirTags. Uh, I'll pause there before I get into some of the other juicy headlines here. Um, here well, here's one I'll, I'll tease before we let, let open the mics. 
the there there's a an article about uh, documenting which tech companies are leaving or downsizing in the Bay Area, um, notably the Soma area. And as the article points out, it says the coronavirus pandemic has fundamentally changed the way people work with massive offices in the Soma area of San Francisco going empty and tech workers making an exodus out of San Francisco to places like Texas for greener grass, cheaper rent, and non-existent state income taxes. The result has been not only employees relocating to work remotely, but also a string of high-profile companies moves uh, in 2021, either shifting their headquarters, expanding to cities outside the Bay Area, or simply putting their San Francisco offices up for lease. The most notable move might not have been by a company, but rather by an individual, uh, where they highlight Elon Musk moving to Austin. And then the article goes on to list uh, Oracle, Uber, Airbnb, Digital Reality, Salesforce, Yelp, Twitter, Pinterest, and others who are moving out of San Francisco in part or in whole. Um, and then at the very bottom, they there's a link to see the full list. And this is put, uh, made by a, a blog, a San Francisco real estate blog, who is now tracking all of these. This I will share it. And it, it is quite extensive. Airbnb, Credit Karma, Oracle, PayPal, Pinterest, Salesforce, Stripe, Trulia, Twitter, Wish, and Yelp, uh, all um, substantially downsizing. Uh, or wholesale moving out of the Bay Area to other locations. Uh, so to be continued there. Um, do flash your mics if you've got there's something. A, there's an untold benefit to that whole thing, Tyler, yeah, which this? is that you get to get rid of the whiniest people in your company that do the least work. Um, whether they're smart or they're dumb, it doesn't really matter. They waste a bunch of time on stuff that doesn't matter to the core of the business. And whether you like that or not, if they're doing that, if they're doing that, if they're wasting uh, time that they should be spending in their own social time, in their own personal life and work-life balance and all that kind of stuff, then you're going to be a better company because you're going to be more maniacally focused on the goals that your customers care about. Yeah. I, uh, somebody just um, sent me a message on Twitter asking for the details of the upcoming African Startup Showcase Pitchathon, and um, so I just replied. Is Lacan? I will reply to it him. It is Lacan. I just replied yeah. to him. Yeah. Uh, oh, great. Okay. And it's a perfect context to do a re reset as we're at the top of the hour. So basically, we do the tech news around the world here now twice each weekday, Monday to Friday. You can see the schedule by clicking on the title of the room, and and where you'll see the tech news club and schedule of upcoming events. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of really cool upcoming events, uh, by the way. Let me just, high, for those who are not capable to click it, let me just give you a, a little bit of context. You've got coming up on May 9th, Global Human and Organ Trafficking, led by Florina. I can't wait for this one, where we're going to dive into the human, uh, human trafficking and organ trafficking uh, and how that's all happening on a global scale. Uh, empowered in part by social media, which I have firsthand experience to here in Thailand. And then you've got uh, another upcoming event on May 11th, Digital Inclusion, uh, a Tech for Impact one with uh, Florian uh, leading that one and others. And then Tech, there's a Tuesday MedTech News led by Ben, uh, which will be fantastic. The Meta Metaverse is back again, which Victoria does a fantastic job of. I think this is the third or fourth time she's doing that one with M Michael, and I love that one. And then Ben and Donna are doing the midweek Bitcoin crypto news. And then there's a tech for impact uh, again with Florian and May and others. And then the one that the gentleman was at Lacan was asking about is on May 27th. It's the last 
event in the carousel. If you swipe all the way to the right, you'll see May 27th. It's all about uh, African uh, investors uh, and African startups. And we're going to try and make some deals happen live in Clubhouse, as we did just a few days ago for Asian investors and Asian startups. And um, yeah, fingers crossed. It's just, it, we're still got plenty of time to ramp up that event. So if you know really good African investors or really good African startups, um, we're going to cherry pick all the best and put them on stage together and make magic happen for everyone to watch and learn. And um, um, everyone directs their their messages to you, Tyler, right? Your yeah, DM. My Twitter DMs yep. is the right way to do that. Yeah, thanks for that. And that does bring us to the top of the hour. There's Todd in the audience raising their hand. Welcome back, Michelle and Justin. And uh, Elena using Chris's image is quite uh, concerning. Uh, welcome, Heather. I, I don't know that we've met before, but uh, if you have something to share, please don't hesitate. And Aya, Aya Allen, and also welcome. And good to see you, Dave and uh, Jan. So anyone who has something to share, please flash your mics and we'll go kind of... Uh, top down here. So Mr. Singh, welcome. What do you have to share today? Hey, hi. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure. Uh, there's some uh, big news coming in from uh, India, which I thought was really important for the audience. Okay. Uh, huge, huge fan of the club. Uh, so the article says, uh, Indian biotech startup reporting early cancer detection. Yes. You sent me this DM. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, how realistic is this when people claim they have a potential cancer cure? My skeptical radar goes berserk. Um, but can you give a little more context? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, read through the article. It says, uh, you know, a team of Indian scientists have confirmed that they've achieved a stunning breakthrough in the early cancer diagnosis where what's fascinating is, you know, of course, the discovery enables the detection of cancer and the stage the disease is in uh, from a simple blood test, which I think was uh, pretty cool. Uh, and it gives virtually 100% accuracy. And this has uh, been reported in the Berlin uh, medical paper. So I think this is pretty legit. Uh, what they further go on to say is the technique was able to identify 25 different kinds of cancers, uh, most importantly, and in some way it was able to even detect before the onset of uh, tumor development. So I thought it was really huge and you know, maybe worthy of bringing it up uh, and sharing it with everybody. Yeah. And do you have that on your Twitter account as well? I saw, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. So if people want to find that one, you have your Twitter in your bio? No, you should. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, again at Ushpinder, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put it up. Oh, it's just your first name. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So if you look on Twitter under his first name, you'll see his account with the, the link to that article, which, uh, yeah, it, it, time will tell how how real that uh, innovation is. And fingers crossed that it's everything we hope it is. Uh, but thank you. For hey, Tyler. Me. Yeah. Tyler, to this point, Johns Hopkins actually has been doing this research since 2018, mm -hmm. and it's called liquid biopsy. Mm. Uh, and there are actually two major companies that are sort of in that space. And they're currently competing for the intellectual property, and they both happen to be from Johns Hopkins. Um, and one of the companies is called Grail, and they're actually kind of further along on this. Um, I forget the, the name of the second company, but I actually do have a friend that actually works on this. Uh, and I'll see if I can ping them into the room to talk more about it. Cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's what we do here, by the way. Is, uh, it's a lot. The secret sauce to this room is really about pinging folks in who have uh, deep domain expertise on these topics. And that's what makes the magic happen. 
And that's that's the sausage being made in real time here. So um, other mics, go ahead, Ben. What do you got? Nothing. I was clapping about your sausage. Didn't ah, you? there you like you're, you're a fan of sausage, <laughs> a sausage. No, fan. it's not. It's probably <laughs> kind of wishing I hadn't flashed the mic. Celebrating your sausage. <laughs> yes. It's on YouTube. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> sausage appreciation moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Um, I need a trigger warning after my time at Apple, please. Yes. Okay. So uh, Mike's flashing, please, if you have some sausage to share with the rest of the class. Um, oh. <laughs> So I just want to remove any concerns you had for me, Tyler. Uh huh. Oh, did you update your photo? Uh, <laughs> There's no concerns whatsoever. Okay. I think you should invite Elena to the stage. Okay. Uh, no one's got their change. hand raised currently, but if someone raises their hand, we'll get you up here. Some uh, uh, Leon, what do you got? Fun stuff. I think uh, today this one is a good one. I actually liked it. <laughs> I, I wanted to share yesterday, but I was too late. I think Tyler was right. This is a good piece. I think it's going to be interesting. Not in, enough like, a, you know, a marketing. This is about uh, the title is uh, called like a, one of our world hardest startups. The social media app has faced plenty of a corporate drama, both inside and outside the company, according to the interview with more than a dozen current former employee. The major title is the inside story of a TikTok's. Tumultuous rise and how it defeated Trump. Do you guys like the title? The inside, I like yeah. When I saw the the inside story of TikTok's tumultuous rise and how it defeated Trump, one of the world's hottest startups, the social media app has faced plenty mm -hmm. of corporate drama, both inside and outside the company, according to interviews with more than a dozen a dozen current and former employees. And I want to raise a point right here because just in the last. 48 hours. We saw the New York Times do a, an article about Mr. Beast, where they interviewed some of his former employees, where it says he has now about 50 or 60 employees. And they had a few former employees say that it was a toxic work environment. And that was included in the story of in the profile about Mr. Beast. TikTok has thousands of employees undoubtedly you're going to have some percentage of those employees are absolute psychopaths who are going, who would claim that working at, you know, grandma's house is a toxic work environment. And so what I'm pointing out here is, is this journalist, and, and this is happening in Forbes currently with TikTok. I, I, I have no problem. I mean, if, if a journalist wants to write an article about, you know, uh, disgruntled employees at TikTok, it also just happened with, um, Basecamp. It also just happened with Coinbase. It's happening a lot. And there's this is an ongoing repeating trend now where tech journalists find disgruntled former employees and those disgruntled former employees say negative things. You can, And the point is, is you cannot have a company of more than 100 people and not have a few disgruntled employees. It's just mathematically not really possible. And they will make a quote like it's a toxic, toxic work environment. And by the way, you had um, Sullivan, Andrew Sullivan left the New York Times himself in the last six months saying it was a toxic work environment. So what are we to make of these tech articles that are interviewing former disgruntled employees claiming it's a toxic work environment? When Andrew Sullivan left the New York Times six months ago, saying it was a toxic. And Tyler, it's it, not, it not turns just up. A, it's just not a not just a UK phenomenon. It's also US. Oh, sorry, not just the US. UK, they're doing the same with Dyson, right? The uh, uh, every mm. every month or so, 
The Guardian writes some article to interviews three employees. Um, and because I have a little bit of an insight on that, it's just really a non-story, but they pick up three employees and and uh, and write a story about it. So just saying it's also in the UK, this for tech companies. Yeah. But they the did this to Bloomberg in the US election as well. Um, and I, I think basically the, um, the, the note here is you can't trust the media or the opinions of a few employees in determining whether a toxic work environment exists. You're going to have to use that squishy thing between your ears with all the wrinkles in it for critical thinking. <laughs> I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But like, seriously, just use it and actually evaluate the situation if it is truly relevant to you and you have primary information. Otherwise, you're just engaging in gossip. Yeah. And so just yeah, for, I don't... just for the sake of sorry to interrupt you, I'll hand it right back to you. My point is, is that this article happens to be about TikTok. I, I, I don't care if TikTok is a toxic work environment. Or not. I, and it's, <laughs> it's I mean, my point is I'm not a friend or foe of TikTok, you know, exactly. Maybe, and it's a, it's a Chinese company. I, I have no interest in defending a Chinese company. Uh, I, I have yeah. no. And, and the same thing about um, the point is the premise. The premise is the format or the framework of this re very repeated cycle of journalist finds disgruntled employee that anyone can do this. And you know what the common yeah. denominator is, uh, Tyler? The common denominator is the journalists. They they used to be like um, amazing humans, like the best the best of the best, like seeking out the story, not putting themselves into it, um, like all about the truth, etc. And now they're a bunch of whiny liberal millennials, and, they, yeah, and they're, well, they're the saddest people in existence. And they write sad stories all the time, and then they and then people take it in and become sad. And actually, the world ain't that bad. It's getting better all the time. And it's there's still problems to solve, but they point they they point at this stuff. It is amazing that this is the biggest problem that we can point out about TikTok. That is not and the on, biggest problem on, about TikTok by a country mile. And on, on your can I can I, can I echo something? So first of all, I don't think that's a represent all the journalists. Again, I read a you know a news a news outlet from Aisha. They don't speak like this. Well, I think that's a very yeah. particular in the United States. Like you know, we all know, violent and the and the and the fear drive the sales, right? That's how it works. Well, I mean, look, the right? the difference is different. It, it's propaganda um, a lot of times. Not all the like. Look, nobody can say every single journalist is a propaganda person. Nobody can say every single journalist is a whiny, uh, shouldn't be a journalist uh, type of person. The problem is that the U.S. based propaganda is all negative and doesn't help us at all. Whereas the China propaganda is weapons grade propaganda that helps China. Uh, and so I tip my hat to you for choosing the better propaganda, but I'm kind of like, hey, how about no propaganda at all? Let's just lay, lay so, that so down Greg, and get Greg, to the let, truth. Let's, uh, I... Since your wife is a psychologist, so let's say we, we have to take a propaganda anyway. I would rather take the happy one, so I live a little bit longer. That's something we already put well, the medical. She just texted me that I made an excellent point, so she might disagree with you if she wants to. Uh, she's listening. No, no, no. Does, does yeah. she agree? Because she already in the wrong. Does she agree that if you even you are in a happy illusion, you're gonna live a little bit longer than like a you know, sad illusion of someone else? No well, way. Listen, if you have to choose between a happy and a sad illusion, choose the happy illusion, but also exactly. maybe choose the happy illusion that doesn't result in like the, you know, hey, that Uyghur thing. I'm not going to stop talking about it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mike, Mike muting, Mike muted. So before we go there, I have, I have not, I need, hold on, Leon, hold, Leon, hold on, Leon, hold on. So I, before we get it, we have we uh, for those who are new to our room, uh, this 
crazy dysfunctional family called Tech News Around the World. We have a format where in the first hour we go through the headlines and the second hour we get a, a little deeper into the headlines, which we just concluded. We are now entering the third hour. Welcome to the third hour where shit gets a little crazy. Where and you merely adopted the darkness. Each other about it's Friday. It's Friday. And, and this. And wait for this. And wait for this. Coincidentally, with a top room, English-speaking room, and so right. there we go. It's so really by the, downhill from that. It, here's here's don't what happened, so, folks. Don't be so positive that your brain falls out. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Here's what happens. Well, it, think, thanks, thanks, Jim. Hold. Thanks, let me Jim. finish. Let me finish updating the people who have no idea what they're walking into. You have now walked it. We have left the newsroom. We've left the news desk and we've walked into a bar somewhere in in a redneck area of Texas. And shit's about shit is about to get shit's about to go down. And there will be I've got I've got backup in the audience. Yes. And it's more than it's more than is normally there. I bring I bring in all my friends. Before you go there, Greg, can I just you know, about the sort of bashing of employers and all of that, if you look at the data, it's actually quite fascinating. Of all the employers surveyed in like uh, employees surveyed in like 142 countries, about 15% of employees are happy. Like the rest is not happy about going to work. That's a great are point. Or we, well, we work isn't supposed to make you happy. Well, I'm not we're, sure about yeah. that. What? I'm not sure about it's that. Not. That's like the yeah. old. We're not there yet. Greg, Swedes don't listen. Uh, no, no, in Greg, Greg, wait, wait, hold on. You happy? You have never been a plumber. Greg, if you've if you don't think employees are happy, you've never been to Sweden because that's how Sweden is. That's because Sweden is a homogeneous society that outsources all their bullshit to other people. <laughs> Greg, you should come more to me. Meanwhile, here in the US of A, we sometimes plumb and plunge our own toilets. We don't have plumbing. We, we don't have that here. So, Greg, please point your plane at Well, it's no wonder that it's so you. full of shit. Like, yeah, like plumbing is really, really important for carrying the shit away. And guess what? You can't just dump it in the ocean either. You I actually have some plumber friends, and they're quite happy. They actually love what they well, do. Well, I'm yeah, just happy this is on YouTube. Like, you also have a horribly large endowment, if you know what I mean, and not the Tim Cook style of it. I do love you, Greg. I love you. But I love you guys too. I actually like the country. I like the country, but the but the problem is that if you try to compare it to the U.S., it's like comparing it's like comparing apples and oranges. I'm sorry, it couldn't be more different. Yeah. Here in the U.S., we have something that I love. We are the melting pot of the world. We are the world's greatest country for everybody to come in and have the best opportunities. Generally, um, Craig, so that doesn't mean that uh, we're Craig, perfect. Uh, Craig, doesn't I mean agree. that we're perfect, but literally. Uh, literally, literally, go be an be an underrepresented minority and go anywhere else in the world. Go anywhere else in the world. I agree with you. Be a be an underrepresented minority. Hey, listen, we have the, high, the high school, the high school, like yelling over me stuff won't work. You actually have to make sense. I know it's difficult. Again, use the squishy thing between your ears. But Rick, if you are an underrepresented minority, the U.S. is the best place in the world for you generally. The expected Craig, value uh, for I an underrepresented minority Cheryl is falling amazing. asleep now. Craig, I had to agree with right. you. You know, there was a headline from Sweden uh, this week. The there was a headline from like Sweden this week about, you know, how the women don't feel safe walking out of the night. Uh, this I is mean, a great, never... ah, Kieran, great article, by the way. I just read it myself today. And yes. This, this is a very dark. Uh, moment, uh, in, but it has a broader context to it, right? It does. It's something is, yeah. But you can't. It's very difficult to even discuss because police do not keep records of 
um, racial identifiers. Uh, exactly, so, that's the right? point. Yeah. So it's it's a really interesting um, political issue in Sweden uh, that is difficult to even discuss, honestly. But th- there is. I just read that. What an interesting article that is. It, we, it's it's like I said, you can't even. It's hard to talk about. But um, it makes you wonder, uh, Tyler. Right? When we look at certain countries, we look up to certain countries with certain measures. Is it because they don't, you know, they don't want to uh, bring certain uh, you know issues because they don't bring to the surface and talk about it openly, right? It's it's built within the culture. They put it away, and you know, it's like the whack the mole. You know, now it's all coming. To- Ask, but no, I wouldn't call it denial. But Bor- let let this let Boris uh, address. Boris, do you know this article we're talking about about the recent murders, women, female murders in Sweden? Yeah, that's a that's a huge topic in Sweden, and we're so. I mean, to Greg's point, Sweden is like number one woke country uh, in the world, and and Tyler, you know, and Greg, you might have heard it as well. Every time Tyler goes on his, you know, fantastic uh, 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 Sweden utopia, fest- yeah. And I'm always the most critical person in the yep, room. So true. there's a lot of stuff that I don't like about Sweden. Yeah. Uh, I, I did live abroad most of my life and then I returned to Sweden. So there's so many things. And this is definitely one of the things I hate most, that you cannot address anything that's done by an immigrant in Sweden will never be allocated to that person. You know, And even me saying this now puts me on the list. I'm a racist in Sweden just by bringing this up that you cannot talk about this in Sweden. I think that that's that's why you have to, you know, uh, respect America, right? You know, when people talk about all this Black Lives Matter, you know, they are, I know that there's a lot of flaws, but at least they they are, you know, they are strong enough to, you know, deal with it, right? Yeah. They, they want them to come on the surface. And, then, and the other, yeah. the other thing is... Like, yeah, literally, it's, it's, everybody, everybody I care to associate with, uh, Black Lives Matter. They, like literally, literally everybody I care to associate with. And by the way, you can go around. All my neighbors here in Texas are nice people who agree with the with the premise. Um, and that doesn't mean that they agree with everybody who bandies that phrase around and uses it for evil as well as good. But Black I Lives totally Matter. Agree. And and actually, in other countries, you couldn't get people to say again. I'm going to say it. Black Lives Matter. Black yes, Lives Matter. Uh, they do. And this, in other countries, people are going to bristle at even saying the words. They're going to bristle at even saying the words. Go to China. Go to China and see what they the say UK. about this there. Hold on a second, please. They, they wouldn't even say it in the UK. Right. So, so I, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a guy born in, born in uh, Africa, uh, ended up in the UK with some fortune, ended up in a boarding school, right? Uh, had very, very little. Like, just basically, that was my break. Um, and as I grew up in the UK, 1978, right? The guy in my class was a guy called Nigel Farage. He was actually in my class, okay? Uh, 1978, Britain was as racist as it gets. And we're about the same level again now in the UK from my assessment, having come back from the US. And everything I did in my career, I, I, was, I dreamt of going to the US, right? And once I got there, yes, there are difficult, yes, all the issues, we've got everything. But as an immigrant, I, I just felt, open. I felt like I had an opportunity. I could get to the top on the board of a fortune 50 company. And, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, there weren't many of us, but when I got there, it's, it's, uh, it, it felt right. It felt uh, meritocracy. Try and see some of the boards in the UK and see how many Indians get past the, uh, you know, the partner level in, in some of the accounting firms, see how many people yeah. get to the, to the top, top of Marks and Spencer. Cal, how many I mean- CEOs are there? Cal, you make a good point. So I'm, I'm assuming that you're talking about Dulwich College, right? So my son is there. And yes. they, I think the problem, so one of the things that recently, so I think it happened in the 70s, 80s as well. It's a boys boarding school, right? Um, so there's recently been a headline on 
the similar uh, behaviors, just what Nigel Farage, you know, uh, portrays towards women. It's happening in Dulwich College. There's been articles going around because the so certain group, you know, the way they mold to look at the society is not the reflective of the society, right? The, those men are the one tend to end up in places in, in you know, boards or the big companies, right? Uh, you know, they end up going to Eternal, they end up following to Oxford, and then you know they they that that trail follows. Just that's what reflected on uh, David Cameron and Boris Johnson and. You know, um, uh, all of those, they ended up in a point that look how the, the, the shit, the mess that, you know, we ended up right now. Right? So it's, it's something that people don't talk about. Well, I'm just backing. No, no, Kieran, I'm just I'm, what I'm saying is I think there's a strong point. I'm, I'm just saying this. OK, I know there's that Europe is a wonderful place. But like you said, sometimes it's not the place for it. It doesn't feel open enough for for me. I, I could have gone to any other country in Europe. Uh, OK, maybe I didn't speak the languages. Um, but I could have done, but I didn't really get that many offers, to be honest. I was a hustler, right? And in the UK, I hustled like crazy. I just hustled for everything I've got. But when I went to the US, when I hustled, I felt like I was at home hustling, right? That's different. But yeah. Cal, I think you're hustling. What you don't talk about is the, is the privilege. Hustle, we, are hustling hustle. to, we are hustling to get into that not, group. Not hustle, hustle. I know, I know. We are, we are hustling to get into that group where we can get into the table to behave the way where we feel that we have this kind of a... No, not in the U.S. In, in the U.S., it's, it's a, it's the, the hustle I have in the U.S. is for my own goal, for my own opportunity, very much like, like you see Greg doing here or other, other Americans kind of working through... But in U.K. is different, right? U.K. is different. But the U.K., you're hustling just to belong. You're right. Kirk. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I think yeah, that's um, an amazing point. Just quickly I, I just want to say that these are the types of people, like when I'm at Cal, I, like, I don't even, like I, I, people are going to come after me for the whole being blind to race thing. I'm not blind to race, but at the same time, like this dude impressed me so much when I, when I met him. I was like, I wish I'd known you for my entire life. I wish we were friends when we were in first grade because, like, because he's just one... He, he is one of my people, and I don't give a shit what color his skin is. I don't even want to he think had to about it. To me, for us for that to be the case, is that what well, you're saying? Well, he did. He did impress me, um, and yeah, I do think that we get to choose who our friends are and who we like and who we dislike. It's one of the pleasures of being a human in a free society. Um, and I don't even really dislike people that don't impress me. I just don't want to spend a lot of time with them. And so, they, uh, like Cal does uh, impress me. He impressed me within the first five minutes of meeting him. Um, and it's not just obsequious praise. Like, I think we're going to be friends for a long time. We might do some cool stuff together uh, and it'll be fun. The thing is that um, he's right on the money about the U.S. because uh, it's not it's not perfect. We, but we have to say that because it's the closest damn thing to perfect in the world when it comes to this topic. It's just not perfect. Uh, but yeah. everywhere else, like if you go into Japan and you are and you're an underrepresented minority like i.e you're not japanese you're not going to start a business there you're not going to be successful there that's not it's not even on the table because i literally have personal experience with this cheryl i'm in japan yeah it doesn't matter if you don't like if if you look like me or you look like my best friend growing up half japanese i know i'll be interrupted on this topic i had to agree half japanese hold on hold on you you literally gets racism all the time you can pick all a, the time. I, I understand your point. I but, absolutely, absolutely oh, agree with oh, Greg. I, I'll never yeah. forget when I walked into Mitsubishi's offices in Tokyo and go walked away with this. I don't know what's going on right now. Meeting. But anyway, oh, racism is hugely prevalent in Japan against if you don't look so, Japanese. Sure, let me or ask Asian. you a question: How many black black CEO in Japan? I mean, you know, Japan has a you know phenomenal amount of global uh, you know international uh, there's, there's, companies. There's, how many? 
there isn't a lot of. I lived in Tokyo. I speak Japanese. No, I think the number is zero. Uh, That's well, there's not a lot of black people in Japan statistically. The no, rich, no, no, but, but no, no. But, but importantly, that, the richest I man got in. No, Tyler, the, my point is. But this. Karen, the, sorry, so Karen. Not, the the richest man in Japan isn't Japanese. He's Korean. No, my point is something else, uh, Tyler. What they do is they also take that culture across the border. So Nomura, for example, they're a global organization that you would see even in London. Uh, if you look at a Nomura as a global investment bank, they would have a limited number. They wouldn't have a black representation at the board level. It's the cultural that they take it across the border. So that's what my point is. You know, sometimes it's okay how you operate within your border. That's okay. You know, you know. And there's a hierarchy of racism in every country. Absolutely. Like, I mean, they carry so, that yeah. culture across the border. So that's that's where we had to draw the line, right? That's it's, wrong. It's but not, those, those, they're those they're not equally point. racist right, to right, every possible. One yeah, go ahead. Like, to, to, to Cal, because I think it's really interesting to just noodle on the UK and the kind of um, the, the the diversity in the boards and stuff. I, I do wonder if it's you know, well, it's, it's, it's known, right. It's, it's not just on race. It's on, it's on the whole like, um, socioeconomic environment. It's on a whole bunch of different axes. Like there's, there's blocks in there, like that are systemic blocks that are not just against the color of the skin. It's against where you're coming from. And I mean, like I, I've walked this funny walk of like having been privately educated, wearing shorts and a cap from the age of four, like going to this, like, privileged school you know going on like uh you know camps with people who've been to marlborough and eaten and blah 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 and then but also like growing up in in a household where my mum was a single parent and had her own hairdressing shop when she was 17 so i kind of have walked this funny walk of like you know with extreme privilege like visibility plus coming from a challenged background so like i just i suppose it's to cal and to kieran like to what extent do you think it's like it's broader than just the color of our skin. I just want to say, I do think, yeah, it's definitely broader than the color of our skins, but the color of the skin definitely plays a big role. The way uh, I see when it's visible. So. so the way I see it is this, right? Look, the, the talents is evenly distributed, but the opportunity is not. But then we are talking, we are living in an era where the data is the new oil. Then we all know information is the only difference. It's, it's making that difference to us, you know, where we are ending up. And by creating this constant, you know, kind of collective group mind, what we're doing is we are keeping that information within the certain, you know, uh, circle again. Then how we like, you know, trying to redistribute this, right? So we again playing the different game in a different way. We're keeping the data, the information in a different, you know, it's, it's happening. Except, you know, we're putting fluff that, you know, uh, these technologies and decentralization making a huge difference. It's not. I think we need to change the fundamental culture of how we measure, you know, uh, people's abilities, their skills. And, you know, basically, we just need to say, you know what, you are only hired for this job because you got this skill, you know, nothing else. But I also think we should make sure that we provide equal opportunities. And this is where it starts. And one thing is being an immigrant, but another thing being an immigrant and a woman. And uh, myself, I have experienced a nice, uh, Cal, it's so interesting what you um, talk about. I'm <laughs> also bringing Nigel into the conversation. There is a huge disparity in boardrooms. And yes, minorities underrepresented, so are women. And uh, opportunities. So it is how much money do we actually invest in women? And if I'm to bring um, Formula One, for example, there's been huge debate whether female drivers actually can be as good as male drivers. Um, and if you look at the amount of investment that goes into um, male drivers, 
uh, versus female drivers. There's no way you can call this an equal opportunity or that opportunity is everywhere. This is the main reason why we do not see yet female drivers competing on the same level as male drivers, for example. And the we, same We happens. often mistake opportunity for outcome. It's the investment is an outcome. Uh, the opportunity is being created by women who are have a new interest in a lot of different areas that we should foster um, and, and help them uh, gain investment. Um, it just doesn't come next. It doesn't come tomorrow. It doesn't come yesterday. It comes when there is an increase in interest and an increase in investment comes along with an increase in revenue. Uh, it's, and so I, I agree with equal opportunity, but we often mistake outcomes for opportunities and getting onto a board of a great company is an outcome, not an opportunity. No, that is an outcome, but an opportunity is actually to, to have the way of growing into the position. And as a woman, uh, so working in Norway and in Scandinavia in general, I think they have done an amazing job in uh, bridging the gap um, between uh, equal pay um, so and statutory maternity leave and so on. So they act, so for example, in Norway, and I believe it's Sweden, please correct me if I'm wrong, you are giving an equal amount of uh, maternity and paternity leave. And That's that true. is also to allow women to come back to work and um, compete on the same level, on the career level. Uh, in the in in, UK. In, yeah. In Elena, on that, sorry to interrupt you, on that point, it's really interesting from the Swedish perspective, they want to be equal in the amount of time that the parents have with the children. And they feel like one of the, the and the Swedish perspective is always almost always optimized for the, the development of the child. And they feel the child will develop most optimally if it has a strong connection to both parents. That's kind of the, the, the psychology behind it. I want to do a poll based on what you're raising right now. I think this is such an interesting point you're raising that I want to do a, a full audience poll on this. Norway, as you know, being Norwegian, um, has uh, uh, you know a policy around board seats, uh, the the gender diversity quotas on uh, boards, corporate boards, right? Um, and it, yes. yeah, so I want to get, and I I have endless as much as I admire Sweden. I actually, in some ways, even uh, have an even stronger admiration for Norway. Just it's it's uh, I feel like every America should delegate uh, our our governance to to Norway and and and. Uh, oh Lord, no! Yeah, actually, yeah. Lord, no. With, without hesitation. I, 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 well, yeah. I mean, actually, if that ever happens, you can expect a lot of us, like seventy-five million Americans, who are the most, the, the smartest, most revenue-generating, uh, you know, innovators in the world, to go on a rocket to Mars. When was the last Norway time? When was the last time you were in Norway? Uh, actually, just a couple of years ago, before the pandemic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I, it's not a joke. Um, we we went to um, a, a variety of different places from up in uh, Tromsø uh, down to uh, yeah, all over the place. Um, so and, here's the poll. Yeah, the poll is yeah, what's the poll? Should uh, corporate boards have uh, gender uh, quotas as they do in Norway and I believe Sweden? As like, what's the current status on Sweden? There is adopting similar policies at the moment, are they not? Yeah. That's yeah, it's, it's so. Are you talking about boards? Correct. Can I just clarify one thing on that? The, 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 right. Yeah. So there is a slight clarification on that. Boards in the in in the UK are you know sometimes they just consider the executive team. You're where to, let's just be the board, right? The the governing board. Correct. Is what you mean, Tyler? Yes. Right. 
Yeah. So in in Sweden and Norway, I believe they're fifty percent. Yes, uh, Elena or one of the Norwegians on stage can. Yes, I, I mean my so. answer here in the U.S. is that if you want to use it as a competitive advantage to have rules like that, then go ahead and try it. What you'll find is that um, your prescription of the percentage of whatever demographic you're worried about that should want to be on a board is going to be woefully inaccurate. It could be too low. It could be too high. Uh, you just don't know. And what you should do is have the market figure out um, and provide equal opportunity for people to grow into these into these outcomes. Um, and that is something that we work on structurally in my organization, uh, but we will not prescribe outcomes. That is that is the worst part of socialism. It always results in like it'll result in people who didn't deserve the job or maybe um, people once we get to 50 percent, maybe it should be more than 50 percent. We don't know. Uh, and then, then we're actually going to artificially just, hold it back because we're going to stop at fifty percent. It is not enforced, but it is encouraged. And uh, okay, in, well, in, that sounds any, any that sounds like virtue signaling at the highest amount. levels of government. So, yeah, yeah, so it's forty. It's forty percent in Sweden, uh, yeah. and it's the same thing here. It's recommended. Um, and so I do. Why forty? Why forty? Why not fifty? So um, my guess is this. Um, uh, I don't know, but my. I think it has to do with I think it has to do with what Greg is talking about. So there has to be a path uh, so that women can have be trained basically to be able to take those spots. Like in tech industry, this is especially a problem. So how many how many people are going through the best schools in programming um, uh, who are women? Uh, it's like ten percent, twenty percent maybe. So um, so it's 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 an issue. We are we are living in today in the uh, age of the. If you can learn, you have plenty of opportunities to learn. So uh, nobody can. Uh, yeah, let me yeah. give you. Why are we worried about the gender disparities? No, gender disparities in other positions, like psychologists, for example. Why isn't it fifty percent men in psychology? Why isn't it fifty percent men in nursing? Why? Because these are important problems as well, and we should be we should be working on both sides. Because there's actually a lack of opportunity uh, in, in those areas and a lack of respect in those areas uh, for the idea that there is a problem. But, the, but pr I will not prescribe the outcome of 50%. It's a terrible idea. Um, it it is basically saying that you process. are the authority on what percentage it should be. You're not. You don't know what would naturally happen if everybody got the same opportunity. So work on the opportunities and stop talking about what Hold percentage on, just it needs a second. to end up at. I'm not. I'm just going to give you some interesting facts. So look, look up the um, the STEM education for the world, and you'll find out that Iran and Russia and these other countries that are not Western that actually have a lot more women going into programming or engineering. How does that make sense? I don't think that's a. Where, so, where is the no, data I, coming from? It makes sense. Look, I'll tell you what it is. I don't think it's a government-led initiatives that are driving this uh, increase. It's a lot of it is from the, you know, um, um, external funding from the international organizations. I think that's, that's, I think you're confusing with the, you know, so we are talking about something from a grassroots structural level change, right? Um, so the, I don't think these numbers are correct, what you're saying about Iran. Um, me... No, no, it, it's, if you look at people going into STEM education, so this is engineering education, look on a global scale what's going on. You can look at UN data and you'll, you'll see that, it's it's quite interesting how that those numbers where you have more uh, more women going into um, into engineering. Uh, it's just I think into, it's quite interesting. Into 
into the it, program to be students or into the program to be teachers? And what exactly is the point? I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Those, so those numbers uh, are correct. Then. So okay, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll put it on my profile. Yeah, I find it interesting that just pivoting back on the conversation earlier um, that we were felt the need to kind of compare racism in different countries. Um, I'm not sure why, you know, that's a, even a topic of uh, trying to compare something that's intrinsically evil across the board. Like, it's like we're saying, okay, our racism is better. And I think that is um, grossly silly and it makes no sense. But in touching on what Greg mentioned about the friend that you say uh, impressed you, um, there's some 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 things that I wish that you would consider uh, questioning about which, that statement and some of the things that you said earlier on club on uh, in this room. For instance, I mean, you touched on respectability politics. You know, the the gentleman, I, I think it's the person, uh, is it Karen? I'm not sure who it was, um, but he had to, I guess, impress you or whatever it was for you to even consider him being a lifelong friend. Um, and those are the, some of the issues that uh, really shape what's, what's wrong with the men in power in the U.S., right? But, but uh, he didn't. That was no. me. Just one second. To, with respect. Sure. Um, with respect. Well, just go ahead, Kyle. Just one second, just to clarify. I, I didn't get the impression from that discussion that uh, the result of that discussion was that I had to impress him um, despite my color. I, I, I don't know where that narrative came from, but I think it came from a bunch of discussions in the room. Yeah. N no, no, that's not. not. That's not where that is. A, that is a gross misinterpretation. It's a gross misinterpretation. Look, not even close. Not even close. Well, I mean, actually, if, if that statement was allowed to, if that if that statement was allowed to hang together, it would be a character assassination. So it's not true. And I've got to spend some time well, saying it now because because you said it doesn't matter what your interpretation of what I said is. I know what I think. Yeah. It does. It does because I hear that I hear that language quite often. It's usually no, from... you you feel something in your mind based on what I said that is incorrect and would not be the interpretation of anybody who actually parsed and my words and understood what they meant. About, that was me. The person he was talking about that was me. Okay, so can mm -hmm. I just one thing? Sure. I at all didn't get that impression. Just saying, the only on, the only thing I heard for what it's worth was, oh, uh, he was impressed when he met me. That's it. And the broader yeah. discussion was about opportunity in the U.S. and race and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that was the broader discussion. So I just want to clarify yeah. that. Uh, but we can. Yeah, it's, equal opportunity and, yeah. it's equal opportunity and pressing. Greg said specifically on his defense that he doesn't give a color of the conversation. And I appreciate you, you let me speak and I'll, I'll be done after this. Within well, the context okay. of you the conversation. You can speak, but no more character assassination, okay? Because then I'll that's, fight back. That's fair. Greg, I'm not trying to assassinate your character, but I am going to speak on um, a very common phrase that I hear very often, especially in Clubhouse, and particularly from men who are not of color and who are wealthy. I hear that language quite often. It's used are you saying that I'm those things? Respectively politics. I am. I am. Uh, you, don't, you do not know me, ma'am. I do not. But again, I'm, I'm not assassinating your character or even talking about Yeah, here is racism in full color. This is racism right I'm here. I'm actually going to assassinate your character. Hold on, That's hold on, racist. And that is racist. You can't you just called me white. Greg, you me white. That's racist. You don't, you don't know my background. Excuse me, Greg. That's not the same thing. You do not it's know Greg. my background. Hold on. I'm not trying. Listen, I'm not trying. 
this is is and this is uh, one of the uh, other well, issues. Well, for we, not trying, you sure are doing. I'm trying to educate and, and for not trying, you sure are doing. Around, are you educating people on how to voice. be racist? Can you just shut up for a I'm second? I'm not attacking. Please. No, I will I'm not. No, please. not until the racism stops. You should. Sir, you literally. I'll, nope, not until the racism stops. Well, you, I'm not trying. You got to come in about everything. Just don't be racist. Important. Do not be racist. I don't even know who's yelling at me. Urban down here. Urban. I listen. People can talk, but I'm going to interrupt racism every time. Every time. Okay, so uh, I think my mic works. Uh, so we need to let uh, Aya uh, make your point. Erwin uh, makes it more complicated by you insisting that she speak. And Greg needs to pause for a second just so we can hear what Aya's rebuttal is. We, we, we understand where it's at currently. And uh, just uh, as much as somebody might not like what Aya's saying, uh, I would encourage them to just uh, have some self-control so that we can just make sure we fully understand precisely what she wants, the point that she wants to make. Go ahead, Aya. I appreciate that. And again, this has nothing to do with assassinating anyone's character on this um, on the stage. What I'm trying to get at is the statement that was made. And I understand what you're saying, Cal, you didn't feel like that's where uh, he was coming from. And he may not have been coming from that angle. However, I hear very often that that is a statement that's made to suggest that, oh, well, because so-and-so has this credential or, you know, is well-spoken or whatever, then somehow that automatically um, makes them worthy of you accepting them into, you know, a, a broader circle or into uh, being accepting of them at all. And I think the entire point of what Black Lives Matter and a few other um, groups, civil rights related groups are trying to, um, the point that we're trying to get across is that it really does not matter what we've accomplished or the quote unquote opportunity people of color have in this country that racism is an intrinsically evil thing and it exists and systemic oppression keeps people of color down, especially in um, countries where uh, they're historically been marginalized, right? And so uh, regardless of uh, what you've accomplished or you know how much you've grown in the ladder of economic um, improvement, you should be respected and your humanity should be considered uh, regardless of that. And often that is not the case. Right, people of color from disenfranchised backgrounds, uh, historically and, and statistically, are you know more marginalized by uh, police brutality and so on and so forth. That was my point. It had nothing to do with trying to attack his character. And I'll end here because this is another issue that you, uh, Greg, and this is an observation again, not an attack. You literally overtalk oh several people in this room. Yeah, that's right? what but we do sec- here. But the second, the second someone comes back to your opinion. You know, you get the chance to call it racism when it's not. It it has literally nothing to do with racism. Oh, well, you're the only one that mentioned the race of another person in this way. And so that is racism at work, whether you think it is or it is not. It's an observation. Oh, so so we can just call racism observations. It's a, it's a not, racist that's observation. Not what racism means. It's a racist observation. You, you don't get to I'm define the word. To you don't get to define friend. the word. Like it is literally, ra- you, you will not gaslight me on this topic. And I, and, and on top and of this, like okay, yeah, absolutely, because okay. you're trying to redefine and own the word racism, and you can't do it because because saying racism. that it's just an observation when you say that rich white guy. I mean, come on. Like the reverse no, to be I considered said, racist too. Greg, Greg, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Like I now get to respond. Okay. 
So uh, Dave McGinty, as the uh, UN uh, person here who always uh, brings uh, peace to the stage, I, I would love to hear what uh, our friend Dave McGinty has to say. So let's uh, give him the floor for a second here. Go ahead, Dave. You are in a Listen. mental prison. Okay. So one more time, we're going to hand the mic over to our friend Dave McGinty. Go, go ahead, Dave. You're handing the mic. Guys, yes. Respect Tyler. So guys, so guys, Dave. here, here's, here's the simple prescription. We should be precise in our speech. Okay. So when we, when we challenge one another, we should be precise to quote the precise words that the person spoke. So both ways to you guys that are debating. So. We get to be precise, i.e. Dave said dot, 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 or Milos said dot, 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 and then we can precisely challenge that. What we don't get to do is interpret or say, I felt, or say, I think, or yeah, say... What was said is that rich guy, white guys are wait, like wait, this. Wait, wait, let Dave, 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 Greg, let Dave finish. No, no, like, I, I get what Dave yeah. is saying, but he's talking too yeah. slow for me. I love him, but uh, like, <laughs> Dave and I are friends, oh. but look... He, what was said was rich white guys be, are like this. And that is a racist observation and is a generalization. It's a stereotype. Uh, and I, I think it's racist and therefore I'm calling it out. It's okay. not a dunk. So it's just again, true. What so I said again, was hold on, hold on, Asia, 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 hold on, hold on, Asia, hold on. I think what, 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 what is happening here is, is unfortunate, but it's educational. So this is a teachable moment for all of us. One of our problems with the way that we communicate is that there are language barriers because our language is limited. And in, in doing so, people interpret what someone said as meaning something because of what it means to them. And that is triggering. And that is the behavior that Greg is exhibiting. He was triggered by something that Asia said. And additionally... Asia was triggered by something that Greg said. And, and in doing so, we are failing to communicate well. And we're all very intelligent people on the stage. But being a critical thinker and looking at life from a different perspective, the issue is not, as Asia mentioned earlier, whether or not the racism in Asia or in Japan is worse than the racism in America. Racism anywhere is bad. What we, what we don't do is we don't teach people to be themselves. And we don't teach groups to work together and collectively. We're competitive. As opposed to being competitive, we should be cooperative. So there are bigger issues that we all must solve. Bigger, bigger problems than what color somebody is. And, and whether or not there are how many CEOs are in the suite. How many CEOs are effective? How many, how many companies are building products in ways that are safe for the planet so that consumers can use them and we can recycle them in ways that we don't destroy our own habitat? Why are we talking about going to Mars when we have a nice place to live here? Everybody can't go to Mars. There's 7 billion of us. So at the end of the day, we're having arguments about things that are minute in comparison to the consequences of not correcting what is wrong with our world. And the first thing we have to do is stop asking children, because that's where it begins, 
what they want to be when they grow up, because who wants to be anything that is not going to be profitable? Nobody. But if we ask children before they start growing up and we start teaching them, as some countries do, some countries do, what problem do you want to solve? Then we can direct the resources and the intelligence that they will need to address the problems that they are naturally gifted to solve. Uh, just, uh, just a brief reminder of what people actually are, like what they really are. A person is the product of his mother's egg and the best, the fastest, the smartest, the quickest, the most crafty one of six to nine billion sperm. The one that gets to the egg first is sitting in the room with us having a conversation. <laughs> that's, that's, cool. who that's who we're talking to. We're, we're, we're talking to the natural born champion. We're talking to the natural born champion. And so if we treat each other like natural born champions, then the race issue will go away and so many other problems that we've wasted time on while we've destroyed our planet. I'm John Bossex. I lead with love and I add value. I am John Bossex. John, you're a I was quiet the entire time because that was amazing. Thank and I want to I want to bring you to Mars. Thank you, John. Thank absolutely. you, John. I want to bring you to Mars. That's amazing. We need this guy on Mars. Brilliant. Yeah, you're you're gonna be one of the chosen. Well said. Absolutely. Can I just say something from an Indian perspective? Oh, okay, very carefully, yes. Yes, yes, very careful. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. No, it's a, a very interesting conversation. I've been quiet the whole time. It's just that now it's kind of scaring me because in India, we actually do not have uh, as much exposure as we should have or as much as the Western worlds have towards the different races and, and the, you know, the politically correctness of things. And there are 1.4 billion of us. So I'm a little worried as to how the world might react to, um, you know. No, Akhil, I think India has a bigger problem than that, right? They have this colorism, which is... A, yeah, we have not, colorism, we have casteism. No, no, so no, no, there's no. I mean, so many is, things. We're staying on the, like a race thread, right? So if you think about colorism, it's a, it's a frame differently, but that is the direct, you know, kind of racial way of attacking, a, you know, a, um, a certain uh, uh, type of people, right? So I think that happens very openly. Uh, in India, but people don't talk of it as a racism, but they, you know, um, they frame it into a colorism, which is still the same thing. Yep, Kieran, I mean, the, the, it exists in ads, it exists in movies, people, this is, it's the new, no, it's the normal in India. It's it's not, we don't notice it. We don't notice it as something that's wrong. We don't notice it as something that's not supposed to be done. Um, it's, it's That's just how things are in the country. I think. And this question, Akhil, um, how do you think understanding of being exposed to more races in India will also help solve the colorism issue? Or you think being exposed to more races is a bigger priority than solving that existing issue in the country in the first place? Yeah, so, okay, so the, the colorism thing is actually a symptom of a deeper problem, if you look at it. Uh, India has, a, India always had a culture where, um, you know, people believed some people were better than other people and some people believed they were worse than other people. Um, if you look so, at our history. So, Akhil, let me ask you a question, direct question. Yeah. So, uh, is your, does, does, your, does, your parents, does your parents encourage you to have black friends? Yeah, all the time. Uh, I mean, 
friends of different color, friends of no, no, uh, no, different no, religion. No, look, you don't need to defend yourself. I'm just saying that's you are an exception. As a yeah, South but, Indian, yeah, yeah, Kieran, but you need to understand. I come from a privileged upper caste background. That's what I said, Akhil. Let's not talk about you. You are just the 0.001%. We're talking about one and a half billion people. I'm asking you generally, living in India, does a normal Indian person from a middle class, lower class family encourage to have a friend from a black uh, you know, uh, no, background? No, no. They are actively discouraged. Uh, forget That's encouraging, they are actively discouraged. Dialogue, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why I was asking the question. Hi, how can I add um... something, please? Yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, just as last. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, to just uh, um, answer your question. Um, I live in the United States uh, in the past 20 years. And it's a great country, great opportunities. I'm coming from Iran. And it's a country that uh, mostly uh, Aryan, they are white. Um, so as long as uh, race exists, racism exists too. Um, and in my country, even though we are almost all the same color, it's not about color, it's about the class. And uh, we differentiate people from different class in a society and uh, given advantage or disadvantage. But moving to United States uh, as an immigrant uh, gave me different perspective of life. Um, and um, I realized I'm not white enough. But what I learned also, that didn't upset me. What I learned, uh, the people on the other side that they didn't see me white enough, they also, they didn't see themselves as a racist, or they didn't see the ugliness of categorizing people because of their color or their appearance. And I think as a mother, I learned uh, to raise my kids colorblinded and also respect people according to who they are as a human being. Um, 21st century is a beautiful century and it's as scary as the same time. We are in a platform from different parts of the world. We share our, you know, uh, ideas, our lifestyle, different stuff. But at the same time, I think we need to learn and listen and improve ourselves as a human being. And that it helps us to have a better society for our kids. Because our kids are learning and growing to have more tolerance, more inclusion. And this, all the world, we, we are, what we are trying to do to uh, provide opportunity for everyone. Everyone has the right to go to school, to have clean water, to have food, to have health care. And these are stuff that we need to work on. And as a human being, everyone has a responsibility to educate other people. Thank you. This is Manaz, and I'm done talking. Thank you, Manaz. This was so beautifully said, and I can relate so much to not being white enough, or in my case, not being man enough. And um, I know I'm wearing not my own face today, <laughs> uh, but that's also for a reason. I uh, was brought up in a racist and homophobic family. And I have done uh, a tremendous work with myself to challenge my own beliefs and social conditioning and biases and uh, 
completely recalibrate my attitude to the world. And this is a platform like this also brings us all together and let us have this conversation about race and equality like we do today. And you have uh, said something so um, brilliant. It is about how we lead by example, um, how your children observe you uh, treat other people. And it's... I believe this is where the change is, and we will need to see maybe a couple of more generations if we really, really want to see uh, the change and eliminate racism. But it, it is so. You can ask yourself, whenever you are in a state of discomfort, where does this discomfort come from? And actually, I, I urge you to challenge your, your own superiority wherever you are in the world. And I I, have, I, I love Norway to bits, but it is quite a nationalistic country. And I think of all the countries in the world, this is where I have met most racism. Being a white woman there, yet being so discriminated. And if there are any Norwegians in the room, I apologize for saying it out loud. Manaz, can I just that check Tyler, with my Tyler numbers? Calc- just a second. Uh, Manaz, can I just check with these numbers that I'm seeing? Is 67% of women going into engineering educations women? Does that make sense in Iran? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, if you look at Iran um, history, um, before um, uh, 1978, I believe, revolution, if I recall correctly, um, women, uh, they work in the highest rank in um the government and in a society. So when the revolution happened, there were some limitation, but that limitation never stopped women to get higher education. And that is correct. Most of uh, the engineering um, in Iran are women. And some of them actually work in the United States in Silicon Valley uh, in a high, um, for Microsoft or Apple, um, and I'm sure uh, some of you met them in a clubhouse. Um, uh, I don't, I, I have, I mean, even um, I believe as a human being, when I walk in a room, I walk as, as a human being. I don't see myself a female or a person that is a immigrant, and I think that's the beauty of the United States. It's a diverse country. I learn a lot from interaction with other people, and we should embrace that, and we should value the environment that we live in, and we try to make it better. There is no um, a formula to resolve all these challenges that we have when it comes to race, disparity, an issue. But every human being in a society, if they feel responsible and try to make it better, I think we're going to have a better future for our kids. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to add some numbers again. because so, it's, like, it's really interesting. Like, let me add that to you. So in Iran, uh, 3% of the women marry before 15-year-old, and there is eight, 20% of the women marries before 17 years old. And I think there's about 30% marries before 19 years old. I think I'm just pulling out the top of my head. Look, I think the numbers that you're saying in terms of, you know, there's a 60% of women, you need to understand the cultural context to this, right? There is still 30% of the women marries before 17 years old, right? So I'm not th- sure what source that information, but I totally disagree with that. Data. I disagree with that. 
Yeah, I totally disagree with that. Wherever you get that information, it's it's not correct. So what? what so let me ask you this: So what is the average, uh, you know, um, uh, marriage across you know female women in uh, Iran? What's the average age today? Most of women, especially the one that educated. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I don't. I don't know, Kieran. Um, the last. Uh, the last time I tried counting, it was very difficult, and I don't believe in stats that are being published on the internet. Um, but I. I don't think there's any possible way to go and calculate these things, especially in a lesser developed economy, particularly one that doesn't publish their stats properly in a country like Iran. No, my point is, it's very um, difficult to project. Let me finish. Let me finish. As far as Iran is concerned, if you ever visited or try to visit, try and go there and see what kind of a modern population also exists in that country. And trust me, there's no 13, 14, 15 year olds that I know of that are getting married down there. I do know a lot of. Did we lose him or was it just me? Yeah, his mic stopped. We'll, we'll okay. Yeah, yeah, we lost him. Uh, okay, I just wanted to give some context really quick. So Maybe Latvia has the biggest um, business. The women are the highest. Uh, they have a lot of business owners, basically, that are women. And the Baltics are actually uh, doing a lot better than the Nordics when it comes to business owners and STEM education. Just to give context. So that's I'm just giving you some numbers. And I think it's good to think about, yes, I agree, culture, but also what's actually the number saying. But what is the point of the, that you're making by sharing yeah. these numbers as like? Oh, sorry, I was cut off. But anyways, that, that was just my point. Just go to the numbers and check so, it out. Aslam, so, no, 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 we, we so were guys, What is guys, the point of those numbers? numbers of so, Aslam, oh, okay, the point of those numbers, right. So the question was asked by you, Tyler, earlier. So the 40% level, um, how, and someone was saying, why not 50, why not 100? And I have to put into context of how many women uh, are getting education so that they can also be in a tech company, for instance, or so forth, or whatever that might mean. They might be in Sweden. They're actually choosing. A lot of women are choosing. Sorry, I, mean, I, obviously... I, 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 yep. I keep getting dropped off. Aslak, please continue. I apologize for interrupting. I keep no, getting. I, I, I get the point yeah. now. I get your point. Okay, good. The last statement. All right. But but guys, point... Manaz is from Iran. So let's uh, trust her. Like, right, we I, do. Be giving numbers I, I, I think we do. Yeah, no one's debating uh, her point. Yeah, yeah, uh, but uh, it's Tyler. I, Tyler, yeah. could I, could I well, just on, chime in on the on the note? You were saying, for us was yeah, Daniel. So, so do you want to just finish? But no, but the last the, the last thing I'm going to say is, I, I, this is not something that men should be jumping in at. Yeah, where yeah Manaz there's no official numbers that you can count. Speaking over her. Why don't we let Manaz finish? Because everybody keeps jumping in. She was speaking, and you all started just interjecting. Allow her to finish. That's not what happened, but... Thank you, Liz. Um, there was a question or data regarding uh, women marrying uh, in a young age. Um, I can tell you I was 29 when I got married. And in my family, I, my oldest sister, actually, she got married when she was 19. But um, in my family, I know for a fact... Um, um, most of uh, women, they marry after they finish their education in university. At least they have a college degree. Or um, I rarely hear or uh, see a woman marrying with no education these days in Iran. Um, but um, 
now these days is just because of the sanctions and economy, the bad economy. Uh, uh, the marriage has declined significantly. Uh, divorce has increased significantly as well in a culture that uh, kind of like a Catholic co uh, culture, close to Catholic co uh, culture. Uh, divorce is uh, it's kind of forbidden and it's it's kind of um, very ugly and it's a shame. It was, but not anymore. I mean, if Iran, it's, it's not excluded in, from any other part of the world. It's just, uh, uh, there are a lot of challenges, but there are a lot of uh, good improvement. Um, and I think in the clubhouse, I had an opportunity to learn more about the young generation and mostly women in business, in uh, uh, being uh, different, in um, trying to uh, uh, bring the difference uh, um, like gay marriage or a same-sex relationship, which is uh, forbidden in a religion Muslim country. And I think it just, uh, if I'm not a, a lawyer, but I think it's uh, the punishments, it's execution. And I see people openly talking about this or having a sexual relationship before marriage. And these are the changes that probably happened in the past uh, 20, 30 years. And now people are coming and openly talking about this. And the education, I think the 60% of women um, more, I, I think that is, it's just, if you look at the current data, it's going to be probably more than that. Thank you. Thank you, Manaz. John Bosex, could you please give us the final word here? Absolutely. Um, I think that what is happening in the world, the world over, because it's getting smaller, the digital economy and the ability to communicate, people are embracing their own freedoms, their own statement, their own actuality, and their, and their self. And we live in the age of decentralization. It is happening for money with cryptocurrency. It is happening for artists with the NFTs. And people are now looking at themselves a little bit different. The thing that we have as a challenge is the way that we teach and the way that we learn. In most cases, we just teach by telling and we learn by repeating. And this has allowed people to move forward without being critical thinkers. We have big, big problems that can be solved and that are within our ability to fix. But until we reach the point, we start thinking critically for the other, not for ourselves, thinking critically for the other, that is the point at which we will be able to solve these problems. But we have it in our capacity to do so, and I have a lot of confidence that we will get there. Thank you for allowing me to share the stage. I'm John Bossex, and I am complete. John, Thank you, John. You are a very wise man, John. I think, and I want John. I just want to thank you for being on this stage. Your wisdom is a, a very rare uh, commodity and very much appreciated by me personally. And I think many of the people on the stage and in the audience agree. Uh, Clubhouse is much better for having you. Uh, my, you are my newest follow. Uh, I'm very choosy with my follows, and uh, I, I can't wait to jump in to follow you from room to room and hear your contributions in other rooms. Thank you. We're now at the top of the hour, at the end of the third hour.
we this could go on forever but we'll and a good place to finish with john it's i that's what i said i i knew already we i know i know there's a lot of other people i would love to hear their thoughts but we unfortunately it would it would keep us here for uh weeks (laughs) if not months uh and it uh, but hopefully we can circle back to it. And when we do, I'm going to ping John in for sure. So um, Tyler, I, I don't want to, you know, jump in. I just want to do a clarification from the, no, since the discussion started from the Norwegian, uh, you know, board meeting or board uh, members, could I just give the facts and not, you know, because people think now that 50% ten, of 10 all seconds, Daniel, have, 10 seconds, it's 40% yeah, and it's only public uh, companies. Got it. Thank and you. And we haven't yet. Basically. There, Thank you. Thank you. All righty. And everybody have a fantastic weekend because it's a Friday. Uh, We don't schedule our meetings for Saturday. For the past three Saturdays, we have had impromptu (laughs) pop-ups. But do check the, uh, click on the title of the room where you will see the scheduled events that are upcoming. You won't see the Saturday event because if we do do it, it'll be spontaneous and even more unstructured than this event. And uh, hey, Tyler, hope hope to see um, you all on Monday. Just real quick, and and have a fantastic week. Do not throw everybody into the room with me, but I'm going to do a room to help people break out of their mental prisons. But I don't want everybody to come; only the people that want to break out of their mental prisons. We're coming, Greg. With I will have, have, to to come. have a Tyler. have a fantastic Tyler. weekend, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.